Hallo und herzlich willkommen bei einer weiteren oh. Sitzung von Corona. Good morning. Uh, welcome to another meeting of the Corona Committee. It's this 92nd meeting entitled of the big and the small. And Rainer had to bow to the big, um, the announcement of a storm or the weather conditions. So he is linked up via Zoom from his office. I'm alone here for the moment. Later on, we'll have a guest who will be interesting, very interesting. Well, things keep happening and the play is becoming uh, more confusing in some aspects, clearer uh, in some others. It has become clear that uh, beginning the 20th of March, all the measures are supposed to be lifted. We don't know what that exactly means. It goes back and forth all the time. So it'll be interesting. We look beyond uh, the pale. And uh, we will speak with a farmer later on, later on who speaks about the uh, problems that might arise due to supply shortages um, caused by um, the state uh, that might arise. It's a very interesting thing. We will continue with English and I'll announce it. We'll have a small, um, a sh very short break so that the interpreters can prepare for the other languages. We have a guest now, but before I uh, announce that, Rainer, would you like to take the floor? Yes, maybe to introduce everybody. We have three little video clips to play in the beginning. The Ausschuss and his work has come to a point where, at least for us, there's no doubt that this is a staged pandemic. And this staged pandemic serves to some very, very rich members, amongst others, of the WF to give them opportunity to get us under control. That's an open secret by now. It is in their publications, the Great Reset about the Fourth Industrial Revolution, that we need, apparently, or claimedly, a uh, global government, a digital currency, a global digital currency, and all of that is happening behind our backs while we're looking at corona. And to illustrate what is going on, we have a little video to start with, Dr. Robert Malone, whom we've interviewed um, here as well, the inventor of the mRNA technology, who got the shots at a time where he didn't understand yet what has what was going on, got severe heart problems and dive, dove deep into what was going on. And he also came to the conclusion that uh, what's going on is not right. And in an interview with Tucker Carlson, he hits the hammer, uh, the nail on the head, uh, better than any other of us can. So uh, that is why we'll start with that little video clip. I'm now um, of the opinion that we have had a 30-year effort to subvert uh, the Western democracies by a group of people that are backed by big money uh, that um, believe in the concept of a centralized government. 
for me, I've been dragged kicking and screaming, you know, just resisting this whole World Economic Forum thing. Um, and the, the kind of the epiphany moment for me was when I encountered the Young Leaders Program and uh, the videos of Klaus Schwab bragging about how he has basically infiltrated all of the Western governments. One of the characteristics they seem to share, if you look at Gavin Newsom and Justin Trudeau as, as two exemplars, um, uh, the, you know, the leader of New Zealand, I mean, it just goes on and on and on, is they, they don't seem to be big thinkers. They, they're very much party line people. Yes. And that was a confusion to me too, until I saw the website where the World Economic Forum lays out its policy position. It's very fascinating. It's interactive. You know, if you click on COVID-19, it shows how that relates to, um, you know, uh, global warming and everything else. Exactly. It's all, it's all Climate change, institutional yeah, racism, yeah. COVID, it's all in, in, a matrix. It, yeah, but it is. Oh, I know. It is. It's all there. To my eye, it looks like this set of policies have been established, policy positions. And you have all of these folks have been trained to basically regurgitate those policy positions, regardless of whatever the context is within which they're operating. And so what you have is like global perspectives um, implemented um, locally through this network of acolytes that have been trained. Even, even if you aren't committed to, to freedom to choose and personal liberty, even if you are inclined to uh, buy into the idea of the benefits of a centralized government, which I'm not. I think diversity is a good thing in governments. After seeing the last two years, is this the cast of characters that you want to give up your liberties for? No. They are grossly incompetent. I don't see how you can make any other conclusion. The good news is um, that the emergency is over, my friends. Uh, it was over in March or April of 2020 when we figured out how to treat this with early drugs. This has just been the kabuki ever since. And this emergency declaration has got to stop. And when it stops, the whole house of cards collapses because all of this emergency use authorization, all of these other extra constitutional things that they've laid out on us and you know, constraining our freedoms, forcing the masks, uh, stopping economic activity, all that kind of stuff that the science says is absolutely unjustified, that all stops. We have to force them to give back these extraordinary powers. They are extra constitutional. They are not justified. There is no crisis. The, the Omicron has destroyed the narrative. It's, it's just the end game now. Well, that shows, as I think, very clearly what is actually at play here, but it also shows that the WEF, via whose platform this is played out, uh, with the help of the WHO, that WEF needs a lot of people to implement this in the various countries that they want to achieve through a fake pandemic, i.e. full control. And the people um, we're talking about are the uh, people that Robert Malone mentioned. They're the tools that uh, many of them come from the Global Leaders Program. Uh, some of them 
were simply pushed in those positions because due to their enormous weakness, they are easy to manage. Our best example is our current health minister, Karl Lauterbach, in Germany, who claims to have made a, a academic career that isn't um, even um, approximately correct, who claims that he has a lot of experience with patients and he has admitted that he never treated a single patient in his life. But in a very short interview, he admits that in order to build your uh, career as a politician, you have to line. We'll listen to that very briefly now. So it can't be true the case that politicians uh, with a, are popular with a critical team topic. It's health questions here. Well, well the truth, the, um, the truth uh, oftentimes leads to political suicide. Please, I beg you. Well, we see if you speak the truth, you have no critical career. And that's not a singular case. Most of us know that in their countries, these kind of figures run around politicians that uh, lie at their own people. We have another example at EU level, the former president of the EU Commission, Jean-Claude Juncker. He also tells us even more clearly than Karl Lauterbach that you have to lie if things turn serious. I'm in favor of secret debates under some uh, people of responsibility. And in order to avoid uh, turbulence in the financial markets, Juncker is willing to take drastic action. If it is serious, you have to lie. You can't be more explicit. This is symptomatic. Those aren't individual cases. All these people who have been installed in the strategic po uh, positions from the point of view of uh, WF. Klaus Schwab uh, bragged about having uh, infiltrated all governments, uh, the NGOs, the trade unions, the churches. I think he is exaggerating because he tries to um, blow up the power of these psychopaths, these puppets, into um, uh, the unmeasurable. Um, but nevertheless, it shows how deeply evil these people are. Now we'll uh, talk to the first uh, guest. Vivian, would you like to announce her? Yes, uh, just a little comment um, on the grand jury proceedings, where tomorrow again and on Saturday, we, on Sunday, we are going to talk with a group of lawyers and a judge and um, take evidence to collect enough evidence to file a court case. And that's a summary of what we found so far. And on Sunday last week, we had quite new findings, as I find, um, with the treatment of the virus. And what came out now in this concentrated review, so to say, um, of the situations where all the experts are at one table, a virtual Zoom table. Um, that is very interesting and very recommendable to see. And um, as I have heard Dr. Malone just now, where he says they are highly incompetent, I think it goes far beyond, especially as we see in the problem of that remdesivir. 
which is fascinating to see that it's a product with the worst efficacy in treating corona and with a high rate of count of um, adverse reactions, uh, including kidney failure with kidney transplants and so on. And that has now been admitted for children. And even better, it's the only um, allowed um, drug for treatment of COVID. Uh, all the others, Evermectin and others, are not approved. And um, it is necessary. Doctors are obliged to explain how, what other drugs there would, bar, would be there. Um, and now the doctors have to say that they are um, <coughs> obliged to um, explain to the parents that they have to use uh, remdesivir. And I think that is very uh, obstruse and uh, brutal. So maybe he's even polite, Dr. Maloney is. So now let's uh, welcome our first guest. We have Alma Besadin. Oh. Former Victorian um, Australia Day Ambassador. And that is, um, maybe I switch immediately to you and you could explain what that concretely is. Um, hello, everyone, and really good to see you again. And thank you very much for the opportunity to be here uh, today. Tonight, my time, and I think it's uh, day your time. Australia Day Ambassador is, uh, I, I thought it was a very privileged role because I migrated to Australia 31 years ago from former Yugoslavia, from Bosnia because of the Civil War. And uh, while I didn't continue my legal practice, I was a lawyer back home. Um, I finished postgraduates in human resource management and industrial relations. So my whole career went into really corporate in, in HR and business transformation and so on. But I did a lot of work with women, in particular migrant women, because um, even in, in all these years since I came, there were still difficulties for migrants to actually be recognized in Australia. Australia is a reasonably conservative country when it comes to accepting other talents. Um, and mind you, even if you're expats and you're Australian and go, for five years in Dubai, you come back, you're in the same boat as uh, somebody like myself who migrated uh, as a new person to Australia. So it's just a really conservative uh, uh, attitude. So I've done a lot of work um, in my other side uh, of career, helping migrant women. And for that, and for generally contributing to community, I was recognized with the role as Australia the ambassador. And so what that means is, Every year we will meet with the governor of Victoria, as well as Daniel Andrew um, uh, for, for lunch and, and events and so on. And there will be speeches. And uh, then I will travel uh, across regional area of Victoria and uh, do the speech, meet local people, uh, you know, learn about the history. I will welcome new migrants in Australia and so on. It was a quite privileged role. It was a voluntary role. Uh, but it was a quite privileged role. Um, obviously, you know, government will pay all expenses for travel and things like that. Um, so, so that's what entails uh, for being Australia the ambassador. And I, I felt as a migrant that was a privilege. I felt that was a, a really good, positive way for other migrants to understand that one day 
you can achieve your career one day you can be recognized within community and uh, I, I really enjoy doing it and others that that invited me on their events as a speaker really enjoyed it as well but all of that changed in 2020 <laughs> when I realized you know the behavior of that very same government that um, if you like awarded me years back with that privileged position. So I've resigned and I've sent a letter directly to Daniel Andrews office. I've never heard from him, but about a week later, I, I got a, just a really email saying, thank you very much for your contribution. That was it. Um, and um, my letter gone viral. I had a very big following on Twitter and I had to shut the Twitter because essentially I had the death threats. Um, you know, I had 200, 300, uh, tweets from people that I don't know because I mean cowards don't have the profiles you know it's like cat and mouse and dog and whatever but I had I've been bombarded um, ever since um, with with a bad energy on the Twitter as well as the death threat so I've actually shut my Twitter because I just felt it's not worth you know every time I open Twitter there is 300 messages of death threats on my tweet Wow. And they come, do you know, like, which kind of, uh, where the, is, where, where the most resistance to what you had to say came from? Is that from, like, scientists or, like, just normal folks? Anyone, or, like, pre anyone pretty much. Um, some people were obvious, like, with their names, and they were some of the professional people, because I, a lot of people in Victoria in particular know me and know what I've been doing for many years and some of them said that that was a bit overreach that i'm a lunatic that uh, i had such a great respect in community and professional world and now since that letter uh you know many people felt that i'm a conspiracy theorist i mean let's not forget that was like september october 2020 where many people didn't even realize at that point what was going on in australia so um and interestingly enough, I have to mention this now that you asked me all of that, Vivian. It was, um, um, I was uh, featured in uh, Mercedes-Benz newsletter, global newsletter for the work that, I, that I've done. And because of these tweets, somebody tweeted Mercedes-Benz and my, the, the entire article was actually taken down. So this is the power of of media and blackmailing and, uh, you know, th th this whole way that if you, if you open your mouth, if you, if you stay for some, stand for something and, and you have integrity and courage to say, this is wrong. Unfortunately, this is what's happened. And this Hello. is not a I'm, I just, I just want to quickly read what you wrote in that letter when you resigned from your position, just to make, to make it very clear that you didn't incite violence or anything. You simply said that you are not going to go along with the way that the government is treating its own people. You wrote, I resigned from this formerly privileged position as I feel ashamed to represent a government that in my view is not representing its people. I left my country, my original country, because of civil war and losing human rights, only now to experience it all over again in a once free nation 
and lucky country. And as a result of this, you got death threats and everything else that you told us. Correct. It's incredible to see how uh, the very foundation of what a democracy is, and that's the freedom of speech, is being used to put everything, to stand everything on its head. It is they who are trying to destroy democracy and the rule of law and our constitutions, and it is us who must protect our constitution, our rule of law, and our democracy against these people. That's, that's I, I mean, the, the reaction to this, I think, very modest letter uh, shows in great detail who we're dealing with, pure evil. It is pure evil, and, uh, and uh, they're criminals. They're, yes. they're absolutely criminals. I believe they're paid thugs of the government who go out there and, and attacking people that, that uh, have, uh, you know, anything to say against. And, um, you know, I've been seen with others. I'm not the only one who experienced this. Um, you know, there are doctors that their clinics being shut, like Dr. Mark Horbat last year, where police basically walked in into... Well, we don't know what the police is just said, I don't know, Victoria something. Uh, didn't even show the search warrant, nothing. They raided his office because he was helping community. They took the personal files of the, the medical files of the people. And wow. they shut his clinic. And there are a couple of other doctors in Victoria here that experienced a similar, but it was extraordinary because Dr. Mark Hobart stood, stood, stood up, uh, you know, he was working with the nursing homes as well. He knew what was going on. There are, there are other few doctors. There is um, uh, Dr. Catherine Fines who also walked away from the system. She is amazing, integrative doctor. And, and there are others. There are nurses like uh, Kimberly uh, McCotton who is, um, uh, McConchie, who also walked after uh, away from 40 years of being a nurse. You know, there is a Dr. Robert Brennan in Queensland who also lost the license. There are amazing, credible people. And everything is inverted, as you're saying, Raina. It's uh, everything that, that is good is now seen to be as, as, as basically not good. Everything is, is upside down. And... Uh, you know, to, to, like in the last six months, anyone who is not jabbed in Victoria here, nobody can get jobs. And if that's not a blackmailing and a medical tyranny, I don't know what it is. Unfortunately, there are people that still don't, don't see that. And, you know, they, they don't understand that by every time you do this QR code or, you know, showing vaccine passports, you actually gave in your rights. So they're compromising just for the steak that they can eat on their favorite restaurant or, you know, have a coffee in, in a favorite shop or something like that. They don't actually comprehend. And, and what really is, is obvious to me, in the last 15 years, the, the workplace in Australia has been changed. I left my corporate permanent job in the largest telecommunications here in 2006. And ever since I've been taking interim executive roles, doing consulting work and so on, the, the workplace has changed. And the workplace, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't believe how the workplace is changing where, you know, we, we kind of talk about diversity and inclusion and we have all this HR policy, but in essence, in a practical terms, 
the human resources now in this country is creating policies that you can't get a job if you're not only one job, but second and a third and any other mandate that the government is mandating. And, you know, I, I basically stepped away from my entire corporate career. I was, um, you know, I was one of the counselors of the Australian Institute of Human Resource Management. I was vice president for education. I, you know, I, I had so many privileged positions. I walked away because I could see where the workplace in Australia is going. And now that I reflect in the last two and a half years, I think this is all by design. It's a preparation for what's happening now. And, um, you know, if, if you think about what happened in a 2020, I mean, Melbourne was the, the most lockdown city in the world. I, I can't believe it. I, I said to people, I would rather go and deal with the civil war in former Yugoslavia, even it was very stressful, but at least I knew who was my enemy. In the first lockdown after six weeks, people didn't even realize that the 5G towers were put almost in every corner of the building, plus these cameras, the, the facial recognition camera. I've been talking about that since April, uh, May last year, and people just can't understand. Why do we need to, what that has to do with the health, facial recognition, cameras. One of the major city, uh, um, shopping centers here, Chatston, Crowdly was featured on one of the channels, television, te television channels that, um, you know, they have a special room where the facial recognition is actually monitoring people. And if you are not 1.5 meters distance, they basically call you out and the guards come and separate you. I mean, it's extraordinary. You know, is, if, there, is... if there is a George Orwell, it's here in Melbourne. What kind of wow. <laughs> What Sorry? Kind of, what kind of room is that where you have this uh, separation thing? Well, this is in a, one of the biggest shopping centers here in Melbourne, a very exclusive shopping center. And they were featured last year in one of the major channels here in Australia. That they have a room with the cameras and the security guys are monitoring people and they have a facial recognition. And if you are not distancing 1.5 meters or whatever it is, they basically, they, they uh, what I understood, via microphone, they will say, you know, you lady with the glasses, with the silver top, with the necklace, you need to move away from person in red. And the security will find them and they will separate them. So that's oh kind of a lounge within that uh, a lounge area yeah, or something. In Okay, yeah. in the shopping center. And, wow. and that was proudly presented. Like, you know, we are proud to say that, you know, we, and, and by the way, I don't watch television for 12 years. I will send that clip because people know that I want to know things like that, but I have no passion watching news because they, they just, you know, I, I can't watch these faces of lying politicians that, that are just simply a bunch of psychopaths lying to, to Australian people. Could you what? give us a little overview of the situation, the current situation in Australia? Maybe I mean we heard about these, these, um, you know, the quarantine camps mm. or like what else is going on at the moment? And are there protests? Is that growing? What's your uh, view on the situation? 
Yeah. I think uh, people are getting a little bit tired with the protests because they are not resulting in much um, change, if you like, especially here in, in Australia. We, we, we had so many protests, but every single bill that is evil, pure evil bill, uh, is still going through because people in a parliament uh, don't really care how many people are protesting. Um, there, were, there was a protest uh, a couple of weeks ago, in fact, I think last weekend uh, in Canberra, that was the, probably the biggest protest, and the television said there was 10,000 people, which is a lie. We saw the, um, the, the view from helicopters, and they're estimating there were probably over 2 million in Canberra. So um, the, the, the challenge with the protest is what we're finding that is that they are infiltrated by a lot of minor political parties who just want to sidetrack the whole agenda. Um, and what I understand that I've seen also people shared um, the, the videos on, in Canberra, the federal police appears to be using sonic weapons. I've seen on Telegram and other channels People actually had a burnt face and it's radiation. You can see it's a radiation and there was an investigation. I've seen the clip uh, by one of the senators asking somebody from federal police, did they use the sonic weapons? And he didn't answer. He's, he, he, he waffled through and said that um, I think we as a federal police need to gain um, immunity. So the sonic <laughs> weapon, what, what does that do exactly? It's basically uh, as, a, as a micro microwave uh, 10,000 times uh, more uh, pushing radiation. So basically they cook you with, a, with that. And last year uh, during the, one of the protests, they actually used that weapon as well. So that's, you know, that's they, supposed they, to make you uncomfortable at the... Um... It actually fries you. Essentially, just cooks you like a chicken. Um, there are, there were, there were pictures of people that after that protest, their whole face was swollen, their eyes were swollen, they had the burns on their on their legs and arms and face. It's, it's more than one person. But don't people see that this is getting completely out of hand, and this is so far removed from health protection, it's the opposite. I mean, don't they see that nobody's dying from COVID, but people are dying because of the measures? The, the challenge, Raina, is that um, these channels are on the channels that we follow, if you like, because these days everyone has a phone and you can, you can phone what's happening. But those sorts of things will not appear on a major television. Mm -hmm. And people who believe government they don't go on Telegram and search independent channels from people or, you know, asking their friends because their friends will not go on those sorts of protests anyway. So there is a still, if you like, um, isolation by, 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 by vast majority. Like, you know, my own family, they, they watch television. They, 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 they think people like myself are conspiracy theorists. Because they, they believe government, they believe the stats the government puts. They don't watch into these other channels and things like that. And that's the part of the challenge. How do you wake up people? 
I mean, the, um, we're talking about the stats and how much they're lying. The Bureau of Statistics released, I think, a couple of days ago, they released the new um, data. And it's all out there. And it says that the COVID-19 was the 38th leading cause of death. Yeah. And they said that medium age was 86 years. That's, that's the Bureau of Statistics data, because I love data. I mean, I don't much trust the data from government in general, but if you put the Bureau of Statistics, then you have to sit down and you think, what the hell is going on? And then there is another stat. Um, there were 26,995 people who died from potentially avoidable causes but this compares, and we're talking here 2020, this compares to 27,979 deaths in 2019. So more people die in 2019 altogether for all type of deaths than actually in 2020 by so-called such a deadly virus. Um, so this is ultimately, if if you have access to real information, this is ultimately the real problem. People don't know anything because the mainstream media and the politicians intentionally lie to them. They live 100%. in this huge illusion. Well, I think that's by design because yeah. one minute they tell us wear a mask, another minute you don't need to wear a mask, and then another minute, um, you know, oh, you, you can go and sit but not wear a mask but if you go two meters there, you need to wear a mask. It's, it's, it's just, and I think this confusion is deliberate because when you mess up with the people's mind, then they, they almost like a hypnotized. And, you know, as an NLP coach, I'm a neuro-linguistic program, I'm not a psychologist or, or, or psychiatrist, but I understand enough of the power of language. And if you listen, every politician out there, and then you look their body language and their language, that language is a language of dictatorship, of manipulation. It's, it's not about, um, you know, healing. But, but somehow, like, you know, because it's on television and you go in every shop, it's 24-7 about you need to go and get your second job and third job. So, job. And, and when you repeat that enough, subconsciously people will actually start believing in it. You know, a couple of days ago, uh, Western Australia Premier, I, I don't even know his name, he said that if you get a two jabs, that's a 4% protection, only 2% protection. And he said, this is scientific proof. And I'm thinking, okay, where is that proof? It, it's, it's just becoming ridiculous. Um, well, Alma, the truth is, and we have found this out through not just because we were looking into a glass ball or something, but because we interviewed experts. The truth is that these so-called vaccinations are totally, completely, 1,000% ineffective, and they're extremely dangerous. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to drop dead after you get the shots, but you have a good chance of suffering serious damage. 
the last one of the most impressive videos we spoke about it before the before we went live is that of an American comedian who, who went on stage, made fun of the unvaccinated, and then said, I got three shots and and et cetera, et cetera. I'm, I'm fine. God loves me the best. And the moment she says that, she it, it's as though like, she falls like timber yeah, and fractures her head. Um, so I, I mean, I, I'm not religious. I keep telling that over and over again, but I do believe in spirituality. If that is not a sign, then what is a sign? It's like a 100% authentic video. I think, yes. I mean, if, it's, if, if it is, then it's quite impressive. If it's not, I think it's still a quite a, a strong symbol because that's what happens yeah. to these people. Some of them go and get the third shot and then all of a sudden we have like 20% with like, you know, this uh, Gürtelrose, what's the word for that again in English, yeah, Rainer? I don't know, Wolfgang may know it. Um, do you know this like herpes kind of uh, yeah. problem? Where HIV, you get... is it HIV? No, no, no not oh. HIV. I mean, it's this uh, like, uh, so, so, do you know what a lot of people get from this herpes kind of thing that you get a like? Shingles. 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 Yeah, that's, it. that's what it is. Yeah, shingles. So you get that everywhere, like basically just right after the vaccination or other things that people have. And it's like, um, it's really bizarre like what um, what people get from that and, and straight afterwards. So it's like if it's if I mean, if it's a symbol, then at least it's quite a strong one. I let me just like get back once more. Um, I would like to the the fines, the high fines that they uh, were giving to people for like uh, participating maybe in demonstrations or like doing other things that are not uh, wanted. Um, is that still a problem in Australia? Is that followed through? And also the I would like to get back to this uh, quarantine camps because that has kind of bothered me like what's going on on that uh, front well um last year there was a protest here in melbourne where the first time we actually saw these sonic weapons it's it's a it looks like a tank and it has like a flat sort of thing i don't know how to describe it but uh, that was used but also they've used the rubber bullets and uh, one of the people there was actually had internal bleeding afterwards. So that happened last year. I can't remember exactly which month. Would have been September, maybe something like that. So they've used that. Now they've used um, sonic weapons, it looked like, it appears in Canberra. We, I don't know about the camps. There, there are lots of videos circulating in Australia about those camps, and it's quite frightening. The last one, uh, I'm not sure was it in Queensland or, or where was it? Uh, the, the, the worker who is on a construction was actually showing those camps. And it looks like they, 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 all, they looks like a modern version of guest chambers. <laughs> that, that's what it looked like. Two, you can put two people in there. He said, you can't actually break the glass. It's, it's completely isolated. You can't break the glass. And there is a, the, the, he was showing where the, uh, the, the gas pipes are going in and connecting essentially with a little opening for the gas. It's really frightening. But what is that for? Nobody knows. This may be, unless it's, I mean, there's lots of rumors floating around created by the other side, because as you, rightly pointed out one of their major objectives is to disorient us to confuse us so that ultimately we will simply give in to whatever orders they give us 
Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily believe that they have that. But if they do have it, then, <laughs> I mean, how much closer can you get to the Third Reich? Oh, we are already in it, Rainer. I mean, unfortunately, um, Australians are beautiful people, but they are not educated in history. Mm -hmm. And history is being repeated. Yes. When, when I say to them that, like, you know, my husband is German, he was born here, and his parents came in Australia, you know, because of what, what happened in Germany, they're beautiful people. And, uh, you know, he was telling me when he was growing up in Australia, he was called Little Nazi, and the teachers will say to him, why Nazis, why Germans never, you know, stood up against Nazi and all of that. So my question is, why Victorian people never stood up to Daniel Andrew when he started this? And in fact, a lot of them said that he is their savior. The, the history has been repeated. The, the problem is they don't understand what, what that history means. And myself being European, every 50 years in Europe, there is a war in Balkans. I grew up listening to those stories about the wars and what's happened in Vatican and this and that. You know, but Unfortunately, I think Australia, um, you know, it's been really disadvantaged in so many ways through the school system, through the workplace, and, and I think they've been infiltrated for decades with the people that are pure evil. I mean, you cannot be a human to do what this government is doing. You cannot be human. There is no empathy. There is no sympathy. There is no solution apart from, you know, just go and get jabbed. It's not one, it's not two, it's three. Now they're talking about the fourth. You know, th there are two years old kids on the streets wearing a mask. It, that's a child abuse, but these people can't even see it. So, I, look, I think people are waking up. Some uh, maybe intuitively feel something is not right, but they don't have the context that there is this whole agenda of the one world government and Klaus Schwab, who is a pure Nazi. You know, I mean, you can, you can see, just read his book, it's all day. They don't understand what's the agenda 2030 or agenda 2021. They don't understand the Rockefellers and, and all of that. And it takes time to research. You know, for 20 years, I've been away for a lot of things. But I have to say, since 2020, I had a crash course to really understanding what's happening around the world. And, and thanks to you and Vivian and, and your programs and, and others, you know, one thing led to another and, and curiosity to research and you start connecting your dots. But in April last year, in 2020, we already knew that this is the Trojan, that this is a Trojan horse to implement dictatorship. That's COVID-19, yeah. it's a Trojan horse. And when I say this to people, they say to me, what's a Trojan horse? People need to educate themselves in history. And, and that's the part of the problem. So, you know, we, we looked ahead of police in, in Australia. Now, just give you one example. In 2015, Senator Heffernan uh, was doing investigation on pedophiles in Australia, and he had that thick papers in his hand. And he said, 
There is 28 high-level pedophiles proven and investigated by police. There are high-level um, profile people, including former Prime Minister of Australia. Whoa. And when, when he asked why these papers were never basically put forward to, to, to us as, as Australian people, the answer was, if we knew what was going on, the Australian people will lose the confidence in government. That was the answer. Alma, can you say that again? This is in 2017. Tw tw uh, 2015. 15. I will send you a link, Raina. I will send yeah. you the link. It's on YouTube. Senator Heffernan um, was inquiring about this paper of 28 high-level profile people, including former prime minister. Why we as Australians, why they've never gone anywhere? Basically, police investigated and that was put in a drawer. And the answer was why we never knew who these people are was because they, politicians, police or whoever, didn't want Australian people to lose the confidence in the politicians of Australia. In other words, we must have confidence in pedophiles? Correct. Holy smokes. And um, I think a couple of weeks ago, I've seen a new ad. I, I, I think it's real by the Victorian government, um, basically initiating the fact is that the, the video was older woman, probably about 45, with 14 years old, another girl, and they're obviously partners. And the older one is taking the girl to get to jab and say, let's do this together. Your parents don't even need to know. That's the latest ad. Not only they're promoting pedophilia, but they're promoting that if you're 14 or whatever, you don't need to tell your parents to go and get jab. I actually, I'm speechless what I'm seeing in this country. I think this country is infested by, by pure evil. I mean, that's really interesting because that's also undermining, like, you know, from the officially undermining the, the you know, bond of trust between parents and children. So they're actually like, I mean, you can steal something here, but don't even tell your parents or you can do this and they don't have to know. I mean, that's kind of, that's really intense. That, that has been, that has been, um, th there is uh, like the last 10, 15 years, can't remember when they started the safe schools, they're called. These safe schools are actually not safe at all. They're promoting pedophilia, LGBTQ, um, all these fluid gender, they're teaching them all these things. It's disgusting what has become of this country. That's not education, it's indoctrination. And in fact, some good people, uh, I know some of my friends, they're petrified of what's happening in the schools. And, and I think that people actually need to pull them out of schools and do the homeschooling.
Yes. You know what, what I also th think is very problematic. I mean, if you go get the jab, like as a 14 year old or whatever, and then you don't tell their parents and ma then maybe you have side effects. And that's then, you know, this secret that you have, like with regards to your parents might even hinder you from telling them, look, this is what I experienced. So you come with excuses, like which might even, you know, add to the problem that you can't then address the health problems that you have. So it's also a really dangerous kind of thing. But they don't care, Vivian. They, they don't really care. They, 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 the end game is to separate society, to separate children from parents. And we know, um, you know, when you, when you look at typical communist statements in every tyrannic country, one of the things is that the state owns the children. Parents don't. And I think this is exactly manifesto of that communism that's 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 so indoctrinated in australia and and one of the sad parts is that australia never had wars they never experienced these sorts of things and and i think they they frankly have too much fluoride in their water they, their brains are not functioning in a sense where you know you can start research a lot of people are waking up but i don't think it's enough i really don't Still, um, I, um, there are, this is what I read in the introduction uh, for uh, your presentation. I think this is what you told Corbin. Um, there are, we're organizing in the community, um, a group of you came together to help the community in health, education, and trade. So that is, to me, the first signs of your building a parallel system of society, healthcare system, education. Ultimately, it'll take everything to be rebuilt from scratch because the existing system, as you explained it right now, the existing system is totally corrupt and it's literally dying, literally dying. 100%, and uh, you know, I um, before I go into that, Last year, uh, a nurse, Kimberly Mikonchi, who was actually a beautiful nurse and a healer, she walked away from her job because she just couldn't be part of the corrupted system anymore. We formed uh, the group called Australian Health Professionals. Um, and uh, we've got about nearly 2,000 now on, uh, on our Telegram. So what we've been doing uh, through all of this period last year is we drafted HR human resources letters for people to, to go back to, to workplace, to take a redundancies because people are just walking away from jobs. They, they've been coerced to take a job or if you don't, you walk away. So we basically educate them and said, no, you're not going to walk away. You're going to go through the process and you're going to get your pay. And you get that in a writing. So one day you can actually sue your employer. And we did a lot of work. It's, it's really for professionals to help them, you know, uh, um, with the current crisis medical uh, system. And, and we, that's why I have a lot of insights what's happening in the hospitals here. Because through these nurses, a lot of them are now have walked away. Uh, but we do know that in the hospitals here in Victoria, they're still using Redemstivia. They're still euthanizing them. They're still putting them on a ventilator. Last year, I coached literally someone to, to leave the hospital because they put her on random severe. And, and even to this day, four or five months later, she can't breathe properly. 
It's like the, 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 the hospitals are murder centers. Alma, that is precisely what in our last session, I think, of the grand jury investigation, one of the experts, he is a he is a uh, director of a funeral home in Great Britain. You may have heard of him. His name is John yes. O'Looney. That is precisely what he told us. He got he got COVID, or maybe it was the flu. We don't know what it is. He had problems breathing, not life-threatening, but he had problems breathing. And when he was put on the when he was put in the ambulance, they tried to immediately get his consent to ventilate him, yeah. which, as we all know can be deadly. And uh, he, the way he described it, they were constantly trying to do things with him to treat him with um, medical or give him medical treatment that, as we know now, is fatal. Putting someone on a ventilator, treating someone with remdesivir, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, I'm so glad that I got out of there without them being able to kill me. Well, this particular lady, lovely lady, she got one or two remdesivir, and her blood pressure dropped, and she couldn't breathe. Um, and uh, when when I find out that she was in a hospital, I managed to get her out uh, because it, it caused the, the the kidney failure, it caused the um, uh, you know liver failure, and all of that. And look, I wouldn't know any of that if I wasn't surrounded with these beautiful nurses and doctors who, who tell me what's going on. But going back to positive, I, I feel that uh, we, we're breaking the ice. I mm -hmm. feel that um, the, the system is collapsing, no doubt about that. And so a couple of weeks ago, there is about 12 of us from all different walks of life. Kimberly is part of that group as well as a couple of other beautiful doctors and um, business people and so on. What we need to do is organize communities. I personally don't believe that new minor party can change the old corrupted system. It, it's just illusion. I believe we need to organize ourselves. So we're looking how we can do this homeschooling, how we can go out there and educate people what's happening in our hospitals, how we can uh, organize the tradings. We're looking to, to do the markets where people can buy for cash, where they can sell the products. So we, we're looking a couple of pillars through the society that we can actually create a template, if you like, go out there to community and say, we need to have a small committee in your suburb or couple of suburbs. You, you tell us what you need. You organize your events. We will bring the doctors and others to speak, you know, um, which elderly need the care. And to be honest, um, Kimberly is already involved in, in creating the home care because people are now realizing that the nursing homes are also deadly centers. So as many people are now pulling their parents um, out of the nursing home and they want to have the setup and nursing at home. And I think that's the future. And to be honest, you know, I grew up with my grandmother who was 96 in the same house with my parents. That's the European culture. We never dumped anyone in a, in a nursing homes, anything like that. And we need to go back to that. We need to go back to, to take care of old people and not to, they're basically euthanizing these old people. They're, they're poor people selling their home to go in to be cared for and they're locked 
because we've got a couple of nursing homes around us. You can't see these people. They, they're literally locked in. The doors, everything is locked. You can't even see them walking in there. But their relatives, their relatives, I, I mean, most of these people must have relatives. How do they react to that? I don't really know. Some, some relatives um, pulling their, their, their parents out. Some people don't have, um, you know, the, I don't know what's the situation in Australia with the borders. Can you travel or not without vaccination? So, so there's a, it's a really complex issue. I know if that was my parent, that parent will never be in a nursing home, no matter what. I will pay the nurse to come here on a daily basis. Um, but, you know, it's all by design. Like, uh, you know, we want a bigger house. We want a better jobs. We want to do this. We want to do that. And we don't care for our children anymore. We dump them in, a, you know, kindergarten. kindergartens when they're six months of age. And we dumped the same way our parents and because, you know, everyone wants a bigger house and bigger cars and more expensive things. And it's just like a rat race. And I think that's where the society has become really so useless, if, if that makes sense. We, we, we as a humans lost that ability to feel connection anymore because everyone is running around. To, to have more money and, and to, to have a bigger house and better career. And, you know, it's okay if you, if you leave your child who is a six months old in, in a daycare. I don't think that's not, not normal, to be honest. I, I know a lot of people will judge me, but I think, you know, the, the kids need to build a immunity and, and have that beautiful home with the grandparents and, and be looked after that way. I, I think we need to go back to that. It's probably all about, and this is what Wolfgang Wodak, who has joined us, uh, has said right from the start. It's all about our core values that we find within our families, within our communities, within our regions. And they're trying to supplant everything and instead make people believe that we don't have any identities. We don't have any cultural identities. And that is wrong. That's why we have to disconnect. As you said, you haven't watched television for a long time. Neither has Vivian. I have stopped watching television uh, when I first understood about what's going on through the corona crisis. But we have to disconnect and set up our own system. We don't have a choice. It's not just no. a right that we have. We don't have a choice because the old system, their system, is totally corrupt and it's dying. Well, I watched your last uh, uh, session with these ladies who had this, the homeschooling in a mill and what the police did, um, you know, with these children. I mean, that's not human. What, why would you go and petrify all these children who are in a homeschooling environment being nurtured by these mothers and the teachers and whatever they, they really want to help? Why, why would you do that? It's, it's but again, going... <laughs> Yeah, but, but it's also, we, we, we know the history because we are Europeans. That's the same what every tyranny government did. It's the same in Cuba, same during the Nazi Germany, Argentina. They used the media to publicize those things so they, they, they put the fear into people. And when you put the fear, then you can manipulate them any which way you like. And, and I think that's what's happening. But I'm... I'm 
glad that more and more people are waking up. Unfortunately, my family is not one of them. Um, you know, they, they took a third jammy, they're all sick now and they still can't understand, you know, why, why, why this is happening. So I, I think... So they're not, they're not even making the connection? No. Mm -hmm. No, they're not. Because my dad is 85, he went to the doctors and doctors said, oh yeah, that's like a flu. You know, you get a virus in and your body is, is reacting to it to build the immune system. And like you, Raina, I'm not religious. I mean, don't forget I come from communist country myself, but I'm spiritual. I believe there are forces out there that are greater than us. And I always, I was brought up with the values of do the good thing and the, the good thing will come to you. And that was being premises all my life. Um, so I believe we need to stand up for what we, what we believe. I know my family don't understand why I'm doing what I'm doing. I've, I've lost friends of 20 years, but you know, we don't have a choice. You know, you, you can't compromise your values and your integrity. And, you know, even my family might not understand what's happening. I'm fighting for them as well. And for grandchildren that I don't want any child, you know, to, to go through any horrible things that they've been and, and you talked about what's happening with these foster homes. Last year, there was an article in a newspaper. There was an investigation here in Victoria, I believe, that the commissioner for something, there's so many commissioners, they were investigating why kids are disappearing from these, um, uh, you know, what you call them. It's not a foster home, but it's a place where they put all children without parents. It's kind of like... Um, that like orphans. a home, orphans, orphans, something like that. Yeah, they're, they're disappearing, but they don't understand why they're disappearing and you know what's happening with them. So there is a commission investigation into that. So I believe all these foster homes, all these NGOs, all of these non-for-profit, for this, for that, they all cover up for all of these nefarious things. I'm convinced of that. You're probably right. Now, okay, that's a topic where, that we maybe have to investigate at another yes. point. And, uh, yeah, but we've, it's we've, we've had we've had uh, lots of hints, some even very concrete evidence pointing in that direction. We're going to have to take a much closer look at that particular piece of the puzzle. We, we now the um, intermediate result that or conclusion that we've come to is that the way that they, the Davos clique, are controlling their puppets is through money, bribing, and other forms of control in terms of extortion. This may be one of them, but we will have to take a closer look in order to make a, a, a really uh, informed uh, uh, decision on this. Alma, I thank you so much, but uh, Professor Pavelic has been waiting. Um, I don't want to cut you off, so if there's anything that uh, needs to be mentioned, please go ahead. No, I just want to say thank you so much for all your amazing uh, work. And, uh, you know, I've learned so much from all of these sessions. I've been following you, Raina, since day one you started your videos. And, and I just want to say thank you for your courage and everything you do. Thank you, Alma. It's the same is true for us because we have
I've learned so much through these uh, hearings. It's incredible. I didn't know anything at the start. Vivian is much smarter than I am. She knew long before this all started, there's something seriously wrong. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. See you soon. Uh, good morning, Wolfgang. Profe uh, Dr. Vodak is with us and Hello. Professor Pavlic from Croatia is with us. Um, I would make a short introduction, Professor Pavlic, um, because this is what Corbin prepared for us. You are a, you're from Croatia. You are a molecular biologist and cancer researcher. You're also oh, a medical researcher. doctor. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, I work in the molecular field, uh, mainly translational medicine. Okay. Yeah. But you're also, is, is this correct, a former secretary general of the European Molecular Biology Organization in Heidelberg and former head of the Croatian National Cancer Research Program. Is that correct? That's correct. I was a, a general secretary general. Uh, for five years in the European Molecular Biology uh, uh, Conference. Mm -hmm. It's a part of uh, EMBO and EMBL system in Heidelberg, right? Some of the things that uh, you can tell us about have already been alluded to by Elma. She's, she was pointing out that, um, of course, she didn't say anything about the PCR test, but as you all know, this is at the core of our legal uh, efforts that the PCR test was used to create the cases, but ventilation therapy, vaccination, COVID death and mortality, mass lockdowns, um, all of this, you, you have something to say about all of this, in particular when it comes to Croatia, right? Yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, thank you for inviting me. Uh, hello to everyone. Hello. In these 35 or so uh, minutes, uh, I would like to elaborate on the fact uh, regarding so-called COVID-19 pandemic with the special emphasizing the creation situation. I was aware of these facts, particularly uh, I spoke about the laboratory origin of this, uh, I could call it particle or virus, whatever, and the need to overcome the uh, disease by uh, approaching it as a flu mm -hmm. from the very beginning of declaring a pandemic, uh, which is evident from my two interviews with Al Jazeera in April 18 and uh, September 13, 2020 as well as some televisions, including uh, N1, which is a CNN branch on Balkan in the region. Uh, after my first appearance, I was not, however, invited anymore, as <laughs> my narrative was quite different to the ongoing uh, agenda. Moreover, after my public appearance on a professional uh, meeting online in uh, summer uh, 2020, organized by uh, Professor Lovrinovic, uh, who is a, a professor and politician here in Croatia, along with a number uh, of uh, medical uh, doctors and professors that gave their professional opinions on pandemics and the COVID passports, I was publicly negatively exposed and even 
kind of demonized by almost all uh, main uh, creation media, which led me to resign from uh, the dean position at the Faculty of Medicine, where I currently work. Uh, as uh, all efforts from my side uh, and from uh, the side of very few of my colleagues to deliver uh, additional information uh, to the public, uh, which was different from the political mainstream narrative, ended in, in heavy public accusation or in case uh, of some other uh, colleagues in threats by police or some professional chambers. Uh, today, it turns out that all uh, my statements, uh, not just mine, of course, relating to the diagnosis uh, of disease causes, uh, procedures that were supposed to stop the spread of disease, mortality, etc., were unfortunately correct. So therefore, uh, I am ready to consciously testify to the damage these measures are and to promote the disease itself as a deadly uh, to Croatia and other countries in the world. In principle, um, I will limit today myself exclusively uh, to medical facts supported by scientific uh, literature and uh, which were not presented to the Croatian population due to planned one, uh, uh, how should I say, one-sided uh, reporting by the central media. Uh, so therefore, I have to say that only certain portals play the positive key uh, role in transmitting this portion of uh, uh, information, although uh, the number of people who uh, follow them is uh, significantly smaller than the number of people who are uh, who read or listen uh, so-called central media. So hence uh, the important difference and the stratification in society into those who are well informed and uh, who follow everything relevant and those who follow the so-called central media with censored data. And uh, I, I will only look at some of the elements that I can uh, elaborate as a scientist that have dramatically affected the situation and thus people, uh, people's health. Uh, although I must admit uh, uh, Croatia has never uh, had such draconian measures as some countries uh, had. However, the directives of the European Union were mostly adhered to, which were never logical for us independent scientists. So let me just uh, uh, say a few words about uh, uh, PCR. I was working in America. At, I, I am not going to repeat what's already uh, been said in these uh, uh, sessions. I was working in America at the time uh, when uh, Karen Mullis was innovating PCR. And with my friend, a professor from the Mayo Clinic, uh, I discussed how to do a quantitative PCR that today forms the basis for the COVID test. 
Unfortunately, ongoing projects at the time uh, have distanced uh, us from the from the realization of this uh, quantitative PCR. I mainly introduced uh, a PCR uh, method to the former Yugoslavia when I came back in Croatia. And I can say that I have enough expertise to talk about the use of PCR in uh, uh, diagnosis of viral diseases. So PCR tests were uh, not designed really to diagnose illness. It will not elaborate uh, on the credibility of the method in the diagnosis of uh, infectious diseases because it's very well processed by many of uh, your guests uh, earlier so far with whom I agree completely. Indeed, I think PCR tests have a history of being inaccurate and unreliable. In this particular case, the CT values of the PCR uh, test uh, implemented in 2020 were, as you know, too high. So the CDC own data, CDC is a, a as you know, uh, Center for Disease Control in, in the United States. And their own data indeed suggest no sample over 33 cycles could be cultured. And Germany's Robert Koch Institute say nothing over 30 cycles is likely to be infectious. So how it happened that this was not implemented in the uh, so-called COVID crisis? So the scientific basis for COVID-PCR uh, tests are, in my opinion, also highly questionable. The genome of the uh, SARS-CoV-2 was supposedly sequenced by a Chinese scientist in uh, December uh, uh, 2019, then published on January 10th, 2020 which is less than two weeks later, uh, German virologist uh, uh, Christian Drosten and the, his co-workers had allegedly used the genome. And I asked what genome exactly, bioinformatics data? What were the controls? Was there a properly isolated virus? Too many open questions that would otherwise stop such thing to ever see a light of the day before proving some uh, basic scientific data. And now uh, I will switch to Croatia uh, in this matter. Uh, in Croatia, almost all public media intimidate the population by daily uh, and dramatic highlights of uh, the so-called positive numbers of PCR false, of false positives without providing information on uh, who is really ill or who among the positive so-called cases has associated disease. So increase in the number of daily uh, PCR positive results was as far as I followed, mainly due to the increase in the number of daily uh, PCR tests. Uh, based on these laboratory findings, the government of the Republic of Croatia, following the recommendation of the, his uh, advisory group, adopted the 
and took restrictive measures. So uh, Croatian hospitals were overwhelmed with so-called expected terrific announcements of an uh, uncontrolled influx of surplus patients. Despite the fact that during the entire COVID-19 pandemic, they did not treat as many res respiratory viral infections as in recent years. For example, in March 2020, 20% of them are hospitalized for the flu. So the flu, as you can Im Im imagine, um, according uh, to other guests, you had disappeared in Croatia as well. Um, so mass uh, testing uh, and daily highlighting the number of PCR positives frightened people uh, and served uh, as an excuse for harmful uh, restrictive measures. All these uh, measures uh, to me are illogical, legally unacceptable, uh, immoral and frightening. So uh, people were in serious trouble as a professional. Uh, I can say that the level of fear in majority of people was so high that the, they were not able to think uh, rationally anymore. And uh, their access to emergency medical services uh, was disrupted. Those people, for uh, example, suffering from a lung infection were often not even admitted by their doctors or accepted uh, in hospitals. Um, if they were unlucky to test positive for COVID-19, uh, they were given treatment too late. And now, uh, just a few words about obligation testing in Croatia. On November uh, 2021, the government of Republic of Croatia adopted a decision on uh, the introduction of a special security measure of mandatory testing of officials, civil servants and employees in public institutions and services like in other places in Europe, I think. People who do not have the so-called COVID pass were actually discriminated in many aspects. So they were first of all subject to the unethical physiological pressure exerted on an innocent person. They were unconstitutionally and unlawfully excluded from uh, uh, their social life. They were prevented from their right to go to work and uh, secure their economic income. Similarly, they were prevented to study or see a doctor and perform specialist examination. And they were deprived of their basic constitutional rights to work, were discriminated in all uh, ways. So I can really say in my country, main human rights conventions were deeply violated, as well as the constitution of the Republic of Croatia, moral principles of our culture, and of course, uh, I believe member code agreements also. Uh, so why uh, the, the 
basic question is why so many experts, especially doctors, scientists and lawyers in Croatia did not say a word on all these and still do not uh, or at worst even support such behavior. For me, it remains an unanswered question. I can understand fear, but uh, this uh, need uh, an opposition that goes beyond fear. So still we consider the premeditation on all these pandemic events from the group that obviously undertakes the whole uh, action. Uh, it, it can be deduced that this point of humanity state of mind was achieved through planned action for decades, as you and your guests mentioned several times. So people need uh, to realize this and only then will uh, uh, have uh, will and hopefully the strength to act. Uh, and this is why your action, I believe, uh, actions actually are mostly welcome and needed. Uh, I may uh, say a few words about, uh, if you allow me, about COVID deaths and mortality which is also a very interesting question. Uh, the survival uh, rate of COVID is, uh, I, I believe, over 99% in average, being higher in elderly. And government medical experts, however, repeatedly deliver misinformation to, to the public from the beginning of the pandemic and therefore they introduce uh, so-called PCR as a, a pandemic uh, diagnostic procedure, which is that uh, the vast majority of the population is danger from COVID. And uh, almost all studies on the infection fatality ratio of COVID have contrary returned the results on the death rate being between 0.04 to 0.5%, uh, meaning COVID survival rate is at least 99.5% and uh, without proper uh, uh, treatment. There has been no unusual excess mortality up to the beginning of so-called vaccination uh, programs. And this is also true for Croatia. So COVID, uh, so-called COVID deaths counts are really artificially inflated. Uh, countries uh, around the globe uh, have been defining the COVID deaths as uh, a debt by any case within uh, 28, 30 or 60 days of a positive test. This is, in my opinion, completely unscientific and cannot anyhow be accepted as an objective fact. So this, uh, in, in Croatia, we do not have a reliable database covering details about the so-called uh, COVID-19 positive cases and COVID deaths. Accordingly, a lot of manipulation may occur in an interpretation of data. So this is 
uh, unfortunately, that means we will not be able to calculate real uh, uh, percentage of Croatian debt due to COVID-19. In, in uh, uh, Croatia, uh, the mortality rate was and is really distorted uh, now uh, if I'm citing this, if someone dies and the cause of his death is not clearly diagnosed, the cause of death is a positive test exists, if a positive test exists, is attributed to COVID-19. So the nation of mortality is uh, distorted and there is a in my opinion, controversial data from uh, our National Bureau of Statistics and the Croatian Institute for uh, Health, Public Health, according to uh, Statistics Bureau, in the first six months of 2020, the number of uh, deaths was for Croatia in total uh, 26,000 400 and something. For the same period in 2019, there were 27,441 deaths, which means that in 2020, mortality uh, uh, the, uh, in, in addition to COVID, uh, 1,000 less people died. So according to uh, Ministry of Health, the data uh, for mortality in the first six months of 2019 was 27 and something deaths. It turns out that they are not able to, to reconcile the data. In any case, in uh, 2020, we did not have serious excess mortality here in country. Some will say that this is because of measures, but scientific studies proved so far that uh, measures did not contribute to uh, the COVID-19 deaths numbers or spreading of the disease. Uh, so COVID-19 deaths mainly rely on whether people were treated or not. That's my strong belief. In Croatia, I knew early treatment was not formally performed, not even allowed. Uh, so this is about mortality. I uh, have some new data about mortality, but we can discuss it if you want, uh, in Croatia, of course, if you want uh, a little bit later. And one question, Professor Pavlic, um, because this is what we heard from other experts from all over the world. There are alternative methods of treatment, or I have come to the conclusion those are the real measure, measures of treatment. They're not alternative. That's what you always use for respiratory uh, infections. Um, and that seems to have worked. Vitamin A, uh, I'm sorry, vitamin C, D, zinc, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And on top of that, um, off-label use of ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine also seems to have worked. But obviously, if you look at that, then it makes no sense for people to get vaccinated and get the shots. If there are alternative methods of treatment or real methods of treatment, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, do you agree with that? Absolutely, I agree. And I will talk a little bit uh, uh, this uh, uh, issue, if you allow me uh, later. It's, uh, it's, um, 
One of the uh, big question for me, uh, but also for other uh, experts is lockdowns. Uh, we all know now that uh, from respectable publications and uh, respectable uh, institutions that, that uh, lockdowns do not prevent the spread of disease. I think we can agree about it. Even so, the UN, even the UN published such a statement. Right. Yes. So there is a little to no evidence lockdown have any impact of on limiting COVID deaths. So if you compare regions that locked down to regions that did not, you, you can see uh, no pattern at all. Mm -hmm. So in the place I live, counting, uh, that's the name of the place is Opatia, very well-known uh, uh, touristic destination, counting around 20,000 uh, uh, inhabitants, on the Adriatic Seas, which is absolutely beautiful place. I remember that beside my wife, my son and myself, we were able to meet while walking daily on the sea coast, a maximum of 10 people all together. So everybody was afraid to walk out uh, on sunny days. We were not, and this, we were not, of course, and this, this proved uh, to be a good decision so we enjoy this freedom thinking about European capital citizens jailed in the apartments and home without any reasonable reason. So we were somehow lucky in the face of the takeover of human freedoms in Europe for, as we know now, very, very selfish reasons of a small group of either psychopaths or very sick person. Uh, it, it proved that I was right when I was warning uh, uh, the, uh, that lockdowns is not good. Uh, now we know that the lockdowns kill people. There is a strong evidence that lockdown uh, through social, economic and other public health damage are deadlier than COVID-19. And you mentioned already UN report from April 2020 uh, warned uh, of 100,000 of children being killed by the economic impact of, uh, of lockdowns, while tens of millions more face possible power, poverty and famine. And of course, unemployment, poverty, poverty, suicide, alcoholism, drug use, and other social and uh, mental health crises are speaking all over the world. So while missed, uh, the, the question is, while missed and delays uh, surgeries and screening are going to see increased mortality from heart disease, cancer, uh, at, of course, other diseases too in the near future. So the impact of lockdown would account for the small increase in excess mortality. And the question about hospital. Uh, hospitals were never unusually overburdened. The main argument used to defend lockdowns is that flattening the curve would prevent a rapid uh, influx of cases and protect healthcare systems from the collapse. But most healthcare systems were never close 
to collapse at all. And now if you take a look uh, uh, on Croatia, Minister of Interior announced that the Corona package of measures bring higher penalties for those who will gather in public places as well as in a shop and other enclosed spaces during uh, uh, the ban of on socializing. And the fines uh, range from the decision on the prohibition of leaving the place of residence and permanent residence in Croatia uh, of uh, about 670 to 2067 or 60 and something euros. And the violators can also be held criminally liable for non-compliance with the self-isolation uh, measures. So for non-compliance with the measures of uh, wearing a mask, the fines can be from uh, 500, from uh, 70 euros. And for a responsible person and uh, the company, uh, around 100, uh, 1,300 to 5,300 euros. So the government and the headquarters uh, are constantly talking about the dramatic situation and demanding uh, even stronger measuring measures, even the complete closure of the state. And uh, this complete madness occurred in, in, in Croatia and in entire Europe on the day, but in Croatia, especially on the date uh, uh, December 18, 2020, where a state decision has made, has been made on a ban of citizen movement between counties and accompanying restriction for the Christmas holidays, midnight, uh, mass celebration, sports. And uh, uh, this seems to be a purposed physiological, psychological terror to the citizens in order to achieve some sinister goals. Um, yeah, that's about- The funny, thing, the funny thing, Professor Pavlich, is we spoke to a member of the European Parliament. He's from Croatia. His right. name is Boris Sincic. And um, it became, from having spoken to so many people from former uh, East Bloc countries, Eastern European countries, from Bulgaria, from Slovenia, from the Czech Republic, um, Croatia, um, Hungary, Poland, um, it appears to us that these people are much more capable of understanding what is really going on behind the scenes than us in the Western uh, half of Europe. And um, uh, Boris Sincic explained this. His to... name is Ivan Vilibor Sincic. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, Ivan Sincic, yes, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, he explained this to us by pointing out that in the former East Bloc countries, the memory of fascism is still fresh in everyone's minds because it's only one generation ago, while here in the Western part of Europe, we only remember what we have. Well, we don't remember because it's three generations ago. Um, do you think that is a correct assessment that people in, for example, your country are better um, 
capable of once you once you begin to ask questions better capable of understanding the true um the the true outrage what is really really going on here i absolutely agree with this uh, uh, statement uh, and uh, if you take a look for a look for example bosnia and herzegovina mm -hmm. uh, they even don't have all these measures uh, or most of them so uh, I think they are, uh, as you said, uh, much more capable. Although we are belonging to United Union, United uh, uh, Union, and uh, we are following some of their rules. But yes, the, for example, in Croatia, only uh, fifty percent of people, or less than fifty percent of people, are vaccinated now. Uh -huh because they were forced but i will come to it uh, they were they were forced to do it uh, mm -hmm. because of the jobs because of the economic situation etc you know uh just a quick interjection um we have um a friend who is also a member of the party of uh de basis which is grassroots democracy yeah and he has a uh seriously handicapped child to attend to 13 years old and he said we his, his family believes that um staying here in germany was way too dangerous for that child in particular because of mask mandates forced vaccination etc cetera, etc cetera. so what he did is he moved to croatia and i think he's been there for months now and when we last spoke to him he said as soon as we crossed the border it was like coming to heaven no masks, nothing anymore, at least not where he is. I think he's right on the coast someplace. No, that's, that's absolutely true. I live in Opatia, where the majority of apartments are owned by uh, uh, people from Germany, Slovenia, Italy, and some other European countries. And a lot of them moved here. Mm -hmm. Some of them had ch children and they... Uh, also moved here some some of them for a while some of them uh, for good but yes you're right uh, it's quite different situation here although we have a problem as i mentioned yes yes well, but, yeah sorry. go ahead i'm sorry uh, yeah one of of uh, problem is uh, so-called but that's not our problem that's the, the uh, entire world problem asymptomatic infection i would like to say a few words about it because yeah. this so-called asymptomatic spreading was among major manipulations used to induce fear in people during the whole pandemics and uh, from as early as march 2020 studies done in Italy were suggesting uh, 50 to 75 percent of positive COVID tests had no symptoms. Again, how can you diagnose diagnose the disease if you do not see symptoms? Yes. And uh, of course, how can you diagnose the disease according to a test? Testing for nucleic acid that per se do not mean anything and were deduced from a bioinformatics predictions in silico, meaning not having any connections with reality. I find this unacceptable and of course unscientific. So for example, a meta-analysis uh, of COVID studies published by a journal of the American Medical Association 
in December 2020, found that asymptomatic carriers had less than 1% chance to infect people within their household. And then comes, we are coming to the, the Chinese study on more than 1 million people with a positive uh, SARS COVID. 10 million people, 10 million people. 10 millions, okay. Yes. <laughs> I have all, perhaps the whole paper. The 10 millions, which means they failed to prove any asymptomatic spread. It's really a manipulation of public opinion uh, based on no science at all. Uh, now, I mean, one of the, the for me, major uh, problem is masks, wearing masks, because it is, it's really a, much has also been said about masks, and I, I will not repeat everything, really. I have read almost all uh, scientific publications pro and contra these measures so far. And based on meta-analysis, I can definitely say that masks do not work for reducing the COVID-19 spread, or uh, they have a marginal value, but they certainly have negative effects on health and the environment. At least a dozen scientific studies have shown um, that uh -huh. they don't work for reducing the COVID-19 spread. Uh, one meta-analysis published by the American CDC in May 2020 uh, found no significant reduction in influenza transmission with the use of face masks. Another study with over 8,000 subjects found masks did not seem to be effective against laboratory confirmed viral respiratory infections, nor against clinically clinical uh, infections. So uh, please note that uh, studies published so far uh, showing uh, uh, data pro-masking in COVID pandemics, I found many of them seriously scientifically flawed. Some of, for example, uh, relied on self-reported survey as data. Another study was so badly designed that the panel of experts demand it withdrawn. A third uh, was withdrawn uh, after its prediction proved entirely incorrect. And the HWO commissioned their own meta-analysis in the Lancet uh, journal. But that study looked only at nine uh, N95 masks and only in hospitals. And of course, it was financed by uh, HWO. So we know, we all know that masks are bad for health. Just one sentence. For example, the study in International uh, Journal of Experiment Environmental uh, Research and Public Health from uh, August 2020 documented increase in bacterial pneumonia, fungal, fungal infections, facial rashes, etc. And of course, uh, they are not uh, good for uh, environment. And uh, this, this issue uh, is so clear. The, the globalist seems to care about uh, the sustainability, uh, but they do not care about it at all. Um, 
this is so pathetic indeed. They uh, speak about ecology and green uh, energy while millions of disposable masks have been used per month for over a year and now ended in our ocean, our food, our lands. And I will just mention a report from the United Nations found, which found the COVID-19 pandemic will uh, likely result in plastic waste more than doubling in the next few years. And the waste majority of that is a face mask. And the study from University of Svensia found heavy metals and plastics fibers were released when true away masks were submerged in water. So these materials are toxic to both to people, to, to worldwide, world life, etc. Just a few sentences about masks in Croatia. At the moment, uh, uh, in Croatia, workers are still obliged to wear masks for eight hours or more at work. Uh, this is not outside, of course, just uh, in uh, indoors. And uh, this is so at many other state or private workplaces and has no medical base at all. Why people comply to this uh, remains a puzzle. Uh, in the history of mankind, no crisis has ever restricted breathing because breathing is one of the basic uh, 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 physiological function. So the government of our uh, uh, country, in my knowledge, did not provide any information to the public about contraindications that are so many. So uh, restriction, uh, on movement, imprisonment, wearing masks and other COVID measures have had no effect on the spread of the infection, but uh, constitute unjustified human rights violation and cause incalculable health, uh, social and economic damage. And uh, uh, indeed, uh, this is uh, one of the major problems that we have now. In Croatia, we have increase in, we had increase in the number of uh, uh, sick people, uh, which are positive by co uh, uh, with COVID, uh, so-called virus. But uh, I can explain it uh, uh, when I will talk about the vaccine. Uh, let me just say a few words about ventilators. It was uh, also discussed today. Ventilators is not a treatment for respiratory virus, virus alone. And mechanical ventilation is not and never has been recommended treatment for respiratory infections of any kind. And in the early days of the pandemic, many doctors came forward questioning the use of ventilators to treat COVID. Here, I, I, I just uh, 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 want to add a personal observation in previous two years. Many people uh, understood that COVID may be cured, and we just heard uh, about it. They found protocols available for doctors worldwide for early treatment that I personally used as well uh, when I had 
at the end of 2020, this uh, disease, uh, it was just like a flu. These protocols are, as uh, you already mentioned, vitamin C, D, zinc, aspirin, and if available, hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin. I observed uh, that the majority of COVID-19 patients get well with uh, these treatments in a few days. Some of them, however, got a kind of complication after one week, more or less on day eight. And these people needed treatment due to drop in oxygenation and breathing problems. And at the beginning, they were uh, treated with corticosteroids and antibiotics. But I received a study from pathologists in Germany that showed no classic infection sign in lungs of almost half of COVID-19 uh, uh, deaths. The pathologist's findings show, however, thrombogenic signs. This may uh, point to an allergic reaction, in my opinion. And I also doubt that the real pathogen was the spike protein. I had um, later on that other medical doctors in the world use, uh, I heard actually that some of them used antihistaminics along with corticosteroids to treat this subgroup of patients with lung complications, which seems rational to me. Now we know certainly that the pathogen in is the spike protein. Uh, today, I see some information that this uh, uh, the, the gene uh, contains some parts of uh, AIDS uh, uh, sequences, but I'm not going to discuss it because I'm not uh, a specialist for this. This leads us to the so-called vaccine topic that is the gravest thing occurred during the pandemic, in my opinion. And this is a public health disaster. And the, the consequence only started to show. And uh, even those days, it's very dangerous to elaborate this uh, in, in uh, not just in our country, but in my country, but all, all around the world. So, um, if you allow me, uh, I can uh, uh, elaborate a little bit about vaccines uh, uh, from my uh, point of view. I assume, Professor Pavlovich, that you have uh, made the same observations as all of the experts who we spoke with, Sushirit Bhakti, Wolfgang Vodak, they write from the start, and then there's a specialist, Professor Hockertz, who had to leave the country because he was searched and seized by, by, the, by the authorities. Uh, he's a specialist in vaccines, and he, right from the start, says uh, this is going to cause massive problems, ADE, uh, thrombosis, because as far as the mRNA is concerned, we don't even know where it's going to end up. It's not, it's not staying at the injection site, but within 30 minutes or so, it goes through the entire body, and uh, it ends up uh, with uh, the, uh, in the gonads, it ends up in practically every single organ causing thrombosis in the capillaries and um, ultimately leading to uh, 
all kinds of diseases of which usually do not occur uh, in younger people. One of them, of course, myocarditis. Exactly, exactly. So I will skip this part of, uh, because we are thinking similarly and uh, following uh, articles uh, which appears uh, from day to day. Uh, and uh, I, I believe that uh, these products were rushed and have a known, uh, an unknown long-term effects that we can, however, hypothesize rather easily. And uh, as a uh, molecular oncologist, uh, I was amazed uh, to see recent studies showing the effects of spike on the DNA repair mechanism in our cells. And this may easily underlie malignant transformation of cells and we may even witness an increase in oncology cases worldwide in, in vaccinated people. Unfortunately, so no tests of genotoxicity indeed were performed with these products as well. But um, do you already have like <clears throat> signals pointing into that direction? We we went on a um, trip and <clears throat> spoke to uh, um, several vaccination um, damages victims, basically, and one lady had a. Um, a super fast growing cancer, you know, when it was taken out, it was like 25 centimeters, like, I mean, or like even more than that, like, um, and that's a, 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 a tumor. Yeah, it was, and it was cancerous and it was um, like uh, a type of cancer that usually, I think it was called like lip, lipid sarcoma or something. I forgot the exact, like it was in the intestines and it was um, like when it, it's usually a cancer, it seems that grows within like five to 10 years. And she'd undergone some surgery like three or four years ago. So it would have maybe been less, um, visible already like you know if it had grown uh, grown at a na normal speed but within like two weeks of after the vaccination she had problems doing sit-ups because like there was something you know she couldn't breathe properly and also she was developing some uh, you could really see also from the outside she she thought she was growing fatter and you know started to to do some kind of dieting and then went to the doctor and then they saw wow there's something internal going on and it was had grown so fast and they had to take out like one of the kidneys who'd been overwhelmed already by the cancerous process i mean do you see things like that and uh, or do you think it's likely that people who have haven't had anything before uh, because of like immune system suppression might be you know overwhelmed by by metastasis or like um you know cancerous processes like within a very short time and how short could such time frame be yeah i heard uh, some uh, from some doctors but these are unofficial uh, statements because in croatia uh, we still uh, do not have uh, official data and research on cancer. Uh, I uh, initiated three uh, university hospitals to start with these uh, uh, testings, with this uh, uh, research. We just uh, in the beginning, COVID and vaccination uh, is definitely has uh, impact on uh, this uh, the appearance of tumors. I 
think uh, you are aware of these uh, informations uh, from VIRS, where there were three times as many reports uh, of breast cancer following a COVID-19 vaccine, and more than six times the number of uh, uh, reports on B of B cell lymphoma. All but one of these cases of follicular lympho lymphoma were associated with vaccines. And the pancreatic uh, uh, carcinoma was more than three times as higher. Uh, overall, in the above uh, presentation, which was published two days ago, I think, uh, twice as many cancer reports to virus are uh, related to a COVID-19 vaccination uh, compared to those related uh, to all uh, uh, other vaccines. And that uh, is a clear signal uh, in urgent need of uh, investigation. I'm not sure whether uh, such uh, investigation are going on in uh, European Union, but uh, uh, here in, in uh, uh, Croatia, as I said, we still do not have official data. Uh, looking at the cancer data, for example, and on average, uh, there is twice as many reports on, of cancer following the COVID shots compared to all other vaccines, what I already said. Uh, and, uh, but it is difficult to, to, to follow all these adverse effects and in, here in, in my country because I don't believe official data. And uh, until recently, no deaths were known uh, to be attributed to vaccination in Croatia. And uh, the fact that there are significant deaths is indicated by data from the countries where uh, it is monitored, like United States and uh, uh, the United States, Germany too, I don't mm -hmm. know. Well, there is, there is new data that came out a couple of weeks ago during a Senate hearing in the United States when um, our friend and uh, colleague, attorney Tom Rents, and three whistleblowers from the military explained how all kinds of diseases had exploded, breast cancer included, had exploded after vaccination, hundreds of percentages, uh, percentage points rather, uh, and in, in some cases even over a thousand percent higher rates of not just cancer, but all kinds of diseases after vaccination. That doesn't necessarily mean that there is proof of causation, but it is very, very disturbing to see these things. And it definitely um, asks or calls for a very close monitoring of what's going on. And it calls for an investigation of what's going on. Just like we had three pathology conferences, two or three in Germany, which gave us a much better picture of what is happening to the body and how can this be uh, traced back to the vaccines. And in several cases, the uh, professors of pathology, one of them is Professor Borkat, uh, pointed out explicitly yeah. that there is clear, very clear evidence for the um, cause of death being the so-called vaccinations. Absolutely. Well, uh, just a few words about uh, uh, 
vaccine safety testing here in Croatia, the, the, the Croatian Institute of Public Health is not obliged to perform vaccine testing or take responsibility for the consequences, but it is holding, uh, hiding behind the EMA, which mm -hmm. uh, confirmed that there is no independent research and independent confirmation of vaccine safety and efficacy. So those uh, important facts were written by pharmaceutical companies themselves, yeah. which they submitted when applying for vaccine approval. And whether this indicates deep involvement uh, in sales propaganda for private uh, companies must be determined by, by the court. In Croatia, vaccination of people took place in uh, October the 2020. Since then, the number of patients has risen sharply, as has the number of deaths. Uh, mm -hmm. So I for the end uh, if you allow me i can go on and on with this topic but in summary i i think that uh, is uh, unprecedented an experimental uh, medical product has been used in emergency use uh, when safe uh, cures existed uh, also here's, here's the thing professor pavelic yeah. um, i think tomorrow when the grand jury investigation will take a closer look at the vaccines. Um, it will also come out because we've seen this, um, some, of the, some of the people who we interviewed told us this, it'll also come out that there were no real trials conducted. And the results of the trials were, this, is, this involves forgery, it involves fraud, there is no safety record for these uh, for these so-called vaccines, in particular when it comes to the two mRNA vaccines, uh, Moderna and uh, BioNTech-Pfizer. In fact, the share prices of both of these companies are collapsing right now because this is all coming out into the open. In fact, it is now clear that the only reason why in the United States all of these uh, dangers were not seen is because a so-called trusted third party, in this case, the FDA, was in cahoots with them and waved everything through, not looking at anything. This is, this is now uh, uh, verified and confirmed by, a, um, by an interview that was done by Project Veritas with hidden cameras. So all of this is coming out and it just proves that we're not dealing with negligence here. We're dealing with intent. Exactly, I absolutely agree. Mm -hmm. So, um, I, I mean, uh, it's uh, I, uh, a very dangerous term is being used in public, even here in, in Croatia, according to the, the public good when we are talking about this yeah. disease and uh, which actually protects decisions without scientific or ethical uh, basis taken by few on expenses of, of the public, of course. And this was done only because people uh, complied and they complied due to fair and pragmatism at most. Uh, it, um, Professor Pavlic, it is so obvious 
that after having seen what's going on, after having spoken to so many experts, including yourself, all over the world, Croatia, Australia, Canada, United States, this is a joint effort. This is a lockstep approach in our view, at least. This is a, a criminal uh, a, a criminal proceeding, a pr criminal agenda that's being rolled out. As far as I'm concerned, there is no, there cannot be any question about this. Uh, we'll see. We'll take deeper looks and closer looks into this. But I don't think this uh, this uh, assessment uh, that I just made is going to change in any way. I don't think anyone who is on this forum right now, including Dr. Vodak, will disagree with that. Um, at least I haven't heard anyone disagree. Wolfgang, is there, since you're constantly monitoring the vaccine scene and what's going on there, do you have any new insights or like some additional information? Uh, you uh, you mean? Uh, no, I just I was wondering because Dr. Wolfgang Wodak is is there with us. Um, you know, he's our. Do you know him? I'm sure. Like he's been the our consultant and and medical um, advisor advice. sort of from the beginning. And I was just wondering if he might have something to add to the vaccine discussion or like what we just talked about. Oh, it's getting more and more obvious that uh, there is some method behind all this, trying out new methods of mRNA use. And uh, it's uh, about, perhaps it's about uh, immunization, but perhaps it's about changing our immune system in, in special ways. We don't know it because we have so many, we have so many signs that when there is written, uh, the, when there is a label on, on, the, on the vial, that it doesn't say anything about the contents. It, it is about the appearance of the vials. They are very different. Very often they look different in color. And uh, it, is about, it is about the results of, the, of, the, side, of the, the frequency of side effects we observed in verse. And, and I think it is, uh, it is clear then when the EMA, the European Medical Agency allows the uh, the pharmaceutical industry to change the contents of the vials during the tryout, during the trials, it's still it's still allowed to change something of the contents. And um, so we have a we have a so-called telescopic telescopic process. Mm -hmm. So they do everything they want to do. They do what normally is done in phase two studies. They do now, and they try, and they have control groups, and they dilute, they dilute the whole side effects by just giving something where there's no effect, so they can do anything to continue what they want to find out. They now have the chance to find out whether the patents may be produced for some uh, for some other reasons, or whether they, whether they can make something from their patents they have already using mRNA and they try out everything they can now because it's all allowed. The states just allow them to do, to have a very, very big international uh, clinical studies as much as they want. And we are just the guinea pigs. And uh, this is what we observe now. And it's very difficult to, to find out, uh, you know, they mix up even with the documentation of the, of the, of the, uh, of the lots, when the, the register numbers, now there will be a new uh, there will be a new method of of a European passport immunity passport, and there it's no longer necessary to to document the numbers. 
So it's even difficult then to find out which different uh, uh, which different vials somebody has got. And so it's it's uh, on the other hand, they have this data and they collect the data and uh, they know where where they have sold and where they have distributed which vials and they will try to find out uh, what is going to be on the market next. And uh, I think we are not at all protected. All the measurements we used to that used to protect us from such criminal trials with human beings, they are out of order. They don't function anymore. They are all quiet. All those institutions who are responsible, they just tolerate what the industry does. And they are corrupted at the head of, of all those institutions. There is so much corruption that has been installed all those years and we have not noticed it. It was, it was well prepared. But Wolfgang, what this means with the new type of passport, this would mean that maybe they, um, the producers, have access because they might at some point um, have uh, insight into the, uh, the, you know, the health documentation like that's like registered with the doctors. But you as the patient cannot see this uh, number of the vial in your own vaccination passport. Is that what you say? Uh, what they want to do is a digital passport and the digital passport they say there is all those data protection is guaranteed and but there are there are private firms who do it there are they have they have uh, enterprises who, who cooperate there is a big uh, public private partnership with google and others in the european union for medical data and there is a seven billion program where they finance all this and it's for it's uh, it's running until uh, 2024 and it's well prepared the whole agenda is well prepared you can see it it's already uh, for longer than five years it exists the planning of this so it's about collecting data and th those data you need when you want to try out new products when you when you want to yes when you want to try out where you can earn money there are two kinds of data which are very important to have for the industry. One data is where people get perhaps in need, where people get in, where people may be endangered, cancer or other things, or when you where you can frighten people to get endangered. This is one, and the other the other sort of of data is who can pay and who cannot, because those who cannot pay they are not interested for the market, interesting for the market. Mm -hmm. So this is what they what they are collecting, and uh, it's the gold of the future. They openly said it already ten years ago, and now they have the allowance to do all that with us. Yeah, this is exactly a very important point. Uh, if you allow me, just two sentences for the end uh, concerning this. Uh, COVID passports. I stay on my previous position on vaccines and COVID passports, and I have elaborated this issue several times in, in my interviews. In doing so, I adhere to strictly medical reasons without going into social humanistic and other reasons which are also obvious. But vaccine passports have no biological justification. This is becoming increasingly intense today. Moreover, they, uh, I mean, they are dangerous because in addition to medical discriminating against the, the unvaccinated, uh, they allow the vaccinated to spread disease without any control, even in the hospitals and uh, medical institutions. So that's I, it's yes. very obvious 
that this is just one other, but probably one of the most important instruments of gaining complete control over us so that they can monitor each and every move that we make. Um, I think we all agree on that. So you, you cannot measure immunity, you know, as you cannot, it's the same as if you were to, to measure the, uh, the, the capacity of a human being to, to, uh, to do well with, with all what happens to, to or his intelligence or whatever, to, to react on what he experiences. The immune system, system is a system which reacts on all, all contexts we have with, with molecules and with, with uh, microorganisms micro and so on. It's very, very complicated and there are so many different kinds and there is cross-reaction, there is some are remembered, others not, some are forgotten. We have, a, we have an immunologic memory. Somebody who wants to put it in a passport, he must be crazy. He must be really crazy. It's, it's complete nonsense. It's just something to control us. It's yeah. something that, you, that we were obedient to take this, this jab. It were obedient to make this test. And it's just a, a, a thing to collect data and to measure obedience. This is all. It has nothing to do with medicine. It doesn't protect anyone. None of this has to do with health or medicine, I think. We have to we have to switch to our next guest, Professor Pavlich. Thank you. So I thank you very much for this very insightful view at what's going on in Croatia. Not much of a difference with the rest of the world, except that in some parts of the world it looks a little bit worse. For example, in Australia, but uh, we do we do believe that you in Croatia, just like in most of the other East European countries, are slightly ahead of us as far as awakening is concerned, because I do think that uh, Ivan Stinchit's analysis is correct. You have a much better memory of what happened during the fascist times because it's only a, a one generation. You are, you are still immune against totalitarian yes. systems. This is a very good thing. That's the kind of immunity that we all need, but we're gonna get it. We're gonna get it. We're working on this. Thank you. Thank you very so much, much, Professor Pavlich. Thank you, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, dann können wir jetzt, Viviane, wieder zu Deutsch zurückkehren. Back to German. Do you want to announce our next guest? I'll be happy to. We have um, uh, from Russia, Professor Alexander Kamkin. He is an independent historian and political scientist. Until 2021, he was a senior researcher at the Center for German Studies, Department of Foreign Studies of the Russian Academy of Sciences. And he is the author of more than 40 scientific articles on German-Russian relations, current situation with migration and labor market in the EU. Today, we speak with him because the situation in Russia is of interest to us, but it's also above all uh, about our wanting to take a look at what's uh, the uh, possible uh, future scares uh, that might replace the uh, corona narrative, which is crumbling now. And one of the big issues is, of course, this um, um, presumed or a real conflict between Russia and Ukraine and then uh, all the other things that might come down the line. So we're happy to have Dr. Kumkin here and we can really start with the contents immediately. Well, Dr. Kumkin, it's great for you to be here. 
we have a short draft. Can you give us something about the historical background and the history of the Russia-Ukraine problem? Yes, hello, dear friends. I thank you very much for the invitation to that interesting meeting. I would like to start talking about the historical backgrounds and the relationship between the two states. As we all know, the uh, countries um, um, have been connected to uh, many different countries in the course of the uh, century and the uh, Tsar, Russian, um, Russia of the Tsars. And that was also um, a point for the Polish um, immigrants at the start of the last century to move to the Ukraine um, where the system there. But I won't go too far back in the history and look at the backgrounds, although that is very interesting to do so. What happened um, in the Ukraine at the time um, and not with the current Russians, but with the Belarus today and the term Russian was split up in uh, big Russia, small Russia, big Russia, and Belarus. Um, and that was prolonged until 1917. And until then, there was the so-called first per uh, wave of the sovereignty parade, um, where many countries that used to belong to, um, that were colonies, became independent and uh, there was a flow of migration between the different countries and um, there have been at least three different um, 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 countries that were loyalists under Stolbrovsky and uh, there was strong um, relations with Mr. Machno and there was the white Russian guard who fight, fought in Russia um, as of today's Ukraine. So there have been at least five political uh, fights um, and uh, one more was the German occupation in 1918 and <coughs> together with the White Army. So um, that was a time of back and forth and uh, most of the white uh, guardists um, went to Russia and uh, Soviet Russia fought against Poland as well. So after 1920, the new time, the red times in history start. And then Ukraine became part of the Soviet Union since 1922. And at the time, a interesting phenomena appeared, which I would call the red flags. The Bolshevists wanted to start a complete new national politics because 
they wanted to separate from the Tsar um, Reich and from the culture of 1920, um, the Ukraine culture was uh, becoming separate, and that was only the first, uh, so to say, wave of the Soviet Union development. And uh, then, of course, one has to uh, come up with one important historical um, point, which was uh, the uh, separation of Poland in 1933, and uh, that uh, is where until 1939 uh, parts of the country that used to belong to Poland were split off. And then the last uh, cut was, of course, at the end of 1964 when Khrushchev had given the uh, uh, Krim to um, Russia with their own, at his own discretion. <coughs> and uh, in the end, uh, the question is always in what Soviet Republic the Ukraine people live at the different times. At the time, at certain times, this was the question because it was a uniform Kumkin. Mr. Kumkin, I just hear that your sound is very poor. Can you do something about it so people can understand you better? I may this is be... much better already. I think you have to go closer to the microphone. Okay, I'll just take the microphone and... Uh, <coughs> you can switch on the video again. Um, that's okay. I think it's the angle you were speaking at the computer with. Whenever you turn towards the screen, it's improved. Okay, I'll, let me try another solution here. I'll switch the video back on. Can you hear me better now? Yes, much more, much clearer. Okay, great. So now, in the end, since 1956, the Ukraine has been established in the shape that it has today. And, of course, it wasn't a homogene country at any time, neither with respect to the religion, nor to the language, nor to the culture. For example, in 2005, I attended a conference in Sevastopol, and there was a discussion on the Ukraine language, the culture, and there was a professor from Rif, and uh, he was old, he was 80 years already, and he wondered and asked what version of the Ukraine language uh, they, he should teach his students. At the time, there were at least four different types of Ukraine, um, not only the spoken language, but including the uh, grammar as well in the north, in the south, um, where uh, most people spoke Russian, like in Donyats and other places 
places in the eastern of the side of the country there were already before the decay of the Soviet Union and after that was uh, Ukraine was not a uniform country and a united country. So what happened after 1991 when, for example, our President uh, Putin has said a couple of times already that the decay of the Soviet uh, Union was the biggest political disaster of the 20th century. And we can fully agree to that with all negative consequences that had for the Soviet, the former Soviet Union economy and society as such. But as far as the social situation is concerned and the homogeneous structure of the country, this model was broken up and many republics that were let into independence like Balticum, Ukraine, Central Asia, this anti-Russian atmosphere was prevailing. That means the national ideas wanted to uh, the people wanted to turn away from anything that was a Russian and they wanted to build on that and in many times Bolshevism and uh, being Russian was put on the same table and that exactly happened in the Ukraine as well after 1991 the Ukraine government and the political elite uh, followed that de-Russian um, ideology, many of the symbols and organs of the so-called Ukraine uh, Salvation um, Resistance Army that fought against the Russians and in the end against the German troops and many paramilitary military organization and uh, ultra-nationalistic organizations were established. For example, Una Unsa, who became famous because 1995 and 96 in the Chechenian war, they sent their combatants as uh, soldiers to fight against the European, uh, the Russian troops. And this is not individuals, it is uh, many troops. Uh, uh, for example, one of the current leaders of the um, nationalists, Mr. Karachinsky, fought in Chechnya against the Russian army, and this anti-Russian atmosphere was tolerated or even in some cases promoted by the um, Ukraine government. And one more thing is that I wanted to point out is a law of the um, U.S. This is the uh, law 2689 people were seen as the fosterers of communisms and all these peoples excluding excluding Russia 
uh, have been subjugated by the Russians, including the Ukrainian peoples. And we should also uh, mention that in uh, US and uh, Canada, many of the former activists um, uh, were in Canada, and many of their um, sub, uh, sub uh, descendants came back to the Ukraine after that. There were many uh, veterans, parades of the um, uh, arms division in uh, many Western uh, Ukraine cities, and the main idea of the uh, nationalists was to fight against Russia, to fight anything that is Russian, and one of the main organs in Maiden 2014, besides the integration into Europe, was to uh, slaughter the uh, Moscovites. And this anti-Russian approach was prevailing in the whole ideology of the Euromaidan, including uh, 2004 as well as 2014. Can I ask a question? Can we assume that these groups are authentic, or is that something that had been installed in order to cause an upheaval? <coughs> there is a good term for the Ukraine nationalists. They are referred to as nationalists without nation or CIA nationalists. Um, I have pointed that out in the presentation. Uh, in 2006, there was an official reception of the Ukraine government on the birthday of Tarasovchenko. He is a poet from the 19th century, uh, writing in Ukraine at the time. He's the icon of the Ukraine culture today. And the former president, Leonid Kuchma, said something very, very interesting. He said, now we have the Ukraine established as a state. Now we should uh, establish the, the Ukrainians. And the point is that in some lifestyles, the Ukraine people are more or less an artificial um, appearance. At home, people take Russians in the office and in interviews, they speak Ukraine. A good example is the wife of the former President Peter Poshenko. She hardly speaks any Ukraine, although she was born in Kiev and uh, her pass, her part says she's Ukrainian. And now this is seen many a times and we can say that these neo-Nazis like the previous sector, Una Una, also under the cooperation of American and European security service have been fostered and they are a very good instrument to destabilize the region and, uh, first of all, to carry out these anti-Russian politics policies, which the Ukraine state has been following for many years. And 2004, when the first Maidan took place at the time uh, President Kuchma was thrown out of office and uh, the uh, follower was um, uh, killed by, uh, allegedly killed by uh, 
the uh, Russian Secret Service. And at the time, the protests had said they fight against the Russians, they want to slaughter the Russians. And at the same time, there were, at the times already, there were information war. Although the um, information was promoted that the uh, president will send their special troops to Kiev to kill the um, uh, protesters, I have relatives there. My cousin used to study at the university there. And on the days of the first night on 2004, I f talked to her on the phone and she told me quite seriously that in Kiev all um, everybody is expecting the arrival of the uh, Russian special forces to kill the protesters. I told her it's it's bullshit. It's unlogic. But she was so convinced by that idea that since then we have not had contact yet. So, Mr. Kamkin, this is particularly important to hear because it fits what we've heard from other experts about what's being reported by the mainstream media. By and large, it's a fake. By and large, it's misinformation, just as uh, ill-conceived propaganda as with Corona. So that's where um, it all fits together. And when you say there are concrete, uh, um, there is concrete evidence um, that in part this has been enacted, uh, orchestrated by the uh, U.S. You mentioned the CIA from Europe as well. So if I understand you right. A Ukrainian uprising was orchestrated that has no basis in order to put pressure on Russia. Exactly. The Ukraine is very important with respect to Russia or for Russia because, uh, first of all, Russians and Ukrainians are very close people. There's lots of families with mixed marriages. There's lots of Ukrainians that work in Russia and live in Russia and vice versa. Many uh, Russians who in Soviet times uh, came to Ukraine and uh, at the times um, until lately, uh, at the end of the uh, Soviet Union, the um, there was this HR policy. You studied in Moscow, St. Petersburg, um, Novosibirsk, and after completing university, the young experts were sent to some cities um, to work in order to mix the population and um, homogize the country. I have a friend, one of the father, the father is from Azerbaijan, and then he was sent to the north of Russia where he met his wife, and since then he lives here. And the same happened between Russians and Ukrainians. And since uh, that's why we came to that situation, that with millions of Ukrainians in Russia, over 50% of the people in Ukraine would uh, see themselves as a Russian or Russian. Russian-speaking Ukrainians, and this is one of the main reasons for the Maidan resistance in Gdansk, and uh, that is also a point why the population of the Krim 
um, was so strong against the Maidan policy uh, before the invasion of the Russian troops in uh, March 2014. There was uh, street fighting between the Maidan uh, and the Tatars on the side of Kirov. Kiev because there were differences and the people who since 1991 uh, either work for the independency of the Krim or for the reunion with Russia and that is why the results of the uh, survey were so clear over 68% of the population um, was for the uh, was in favor of uh, uniting with Russia, and that was, of course, a very clear situation. Um, what these uh, organizations in the Ukraine are concerned, uh, in many cases, they were um, established with the help of and the ideologies of the CIA and the um, European Security Services and the US itself um, flirted with the ultranationalists in order to stay in power and that is still ongoing today. President Zelensky um, is um, sitting between a number of fireplaces. If he talks to about peace policy, he will be uh, knocked down by a new Maidan. Um, uh, Pachinko, the former um, uh, president fighting for power, uh, now and who may be a competitor of Zelensky in the next elections. But as far as the situation between 2014 and today is concerned, the it, it happened what our American, in bracket, friends have planned, which is that they um, draw a bloodline between the Ukrainian and the uh, Russian people because the uh, Ukraine spiel uh, plays an important role in um, the RIM uh, policy around um, Russia and uh, uh, Ukraine is also very important uh, not only due to its stranded situation, but also in the energy play which is going on now, um, which is uh, completely based on fake information. Uh, currently, uh, now we live in times of fake information, really. It's all started, well, maybe it didn't start, but it became more prominent in during the Balkan War where it was implemented. There was lots of falsified photographs, for example, the so-called concentration camp in Bosnia. At the time, it was proven that this uh, photo of the barbed uh, wire with people was uh, a stage photo. Thomas Bachmann uh, did that, but it was too late. The bombs of democracy were dropped on the cities and villages in Bosnia already. And 1999, the NATO intervention in Kosovo 
Again, there was dozens of falsified photos in many newspapers. I can bring you examples. There was an English language magazine, the Moscow Times at the time, and in March 99 already, during the bombardment, there was a big article on the first page of that magazine uh, saying that the Serbian troops don't want to leave um, Kosovo <coughs> with a tank on the title page. <coughs> All nice. The problem is that the tank had an Albanian flag. So, uh, complete bullshit. Or another um, Photoshop in uh, Süddeutsche Zeitung from 1989, where at the time already there was uh, this pressing on Serbia and Kosovo to leave. That's for Serbia to leave Kosovo. There was uh, fighters from the Albanian army, and um, at the funeral of a comrade, there were children on the photo. And for whatever reason, the person who did it put blood on the faces of the people so that uh, the um, reader is more shocked. There was a lot of fake information also about Libya and Syria. There was the White Helm, uh, White Helmet uh, organization, and all together there were this story about the Syrian a uh, girl who was killed and resurrected seven times um, by the White Helmets. And another story, uh, another, I think, 12, 13-year-old girl spoke perfect English uh, from a, a camp in Aleppo uh, describing how horrible Assad's troops are, publishing photos, but these photos showed everything except the, her hometown. So apparently there was somebody in Stockholm in a five-star hotel uh, doing this fake propaganda So, in order that the public opinion and the uh, political elite would fall for that kind of information. So these fake information is something that we've had masses of in the Ukraine as well. For example, the shot down Boeing. Until now, it is unclear who fired that rocket, whether it was a um, air defense um, uh, rocket uh, fire, as the Dutch uh, and the Germans say, or was it a Ukrainian uh, fighter jet? It is still now unclear, but from the first day after the accident in Russia, it was clear that the um, people um, had to use the uh, private, the army to do that. And uh, by this fake propaganda, uh, with that information, the West is carrying out an information war against Russia, and uh, the uh, the the um, Ukraine is only a small figure on that chessboard. Nobody really understands what's going on. In the end, uh, Ukraine is has become an instrument for the strategic encircling of Russia, um, but. Uh, that's not all. It plays a very important role in a bigger game which is going on now besides Corona. It's only one tool, but the European peoples, the peoples of Europe and the EU as an institution are um, 
bent to their knees, uh, the energy and food cards are played. I will explain that they're inextricably intertwined. Um, uh, uh, Russia is an important, uh, Ukraine, sorry, is an important supplier of uh, food to Europe and other, uh, to, uh, to uh, Russia as well. And with the gas deliveries, it's not only a question of delivering gas to private households, it's not only about um, gas as an energy source for industry. Uh, gas is used to make a lot of different fertilizers, ammonia nitrate, for instance, and others that are used in huge quantities by agriculture, and particularly in these times, um, there uh, is a ban in Lithuania on the transport of Russian um, um, potash. So uh, Europe is suffering uh, from a lack of fertilizers, and this is happening now at the beginning of March and April. The uh, large agricultural companies in Europe and farmers are to fertilize their fields, of course, and of course, uh, and by now there is a large lack of fertilizers across Europe. So uh, the yield will be lower, and we can see it even now. The prices of food are um, galloping away. They're increasing by 30, 40, 50 percent in some countries. You can see what happens in Russian um, uh, shops. Uh, buckwheat or uh, wheat are becoming uh, ever more expensive every week, even though Russia is a big producer and ex um, exporter of fertilizers. But it's a trend that affects us all. Uh, by the end of 2022, we are not only threatened by a sixth or seventh wave of corona or another epidemic that is conjured up or hair cholera or cat syphilis or whatever, but hunger and control by hunger or the threat of hunger is another important aspect of this thing uh, that is connected to the corona pandemic. At the end of the day, it's about uh, domination of the entire uh, uh, human population and undermining and abolition of freedom, not only in Europe, but elsewhere. And uh, most recent facts, even yesterday, the European Commission uh, accepted uh, that the uh, deliveries of American uh, um, gas will increase to replace reduced gas deliveries from Russia. So the European institutions have capitulated and the American manufacturers of gas are uh, conquering ever more market share. And it also means that uh, prices increase um, because Gazprom, you can say a lot uh, about Russia not being fully democratic and that Russian uh, mineral gas is uh, subject to this uh, autocratic regime. But the uh, gas prices uh, three to four times below the spot prices the Americans offer. And the Russian president also discussed this with um, uh, at his meeting with his uh, German counterpart that uh, they have long-term uh, gas delivery uh, uh, contracts. Uh, the Hungarian um, Prime Minister, for instance, said that they get um, uh, gas from Russia seven times 
cheaper than uh, they would get it on the spot markets. So uh, the reduction of uh, gas prices uh, means a, a reduction of production prices and then also if we uh, don't get this gas anymore, um, our production costs will increase and the competitiveness of German uh, manufactured goods uh, will decrease because gas is not only a raw material for uh, fertilizers, but also for uh, paints, uh, plastics and many other chemical products. It has an impact on highly um, uh, complicated um, goods, uh, all the way down to motor vehicles, to um, aircraft. It is all part of a world trade war uh, against Russia, against Europe, and the big winners are the uh, big multinational companies who strive for the abolition of national states, the abolition of civil liberties of people. Erosion of the middle class is an exact example of what is to happen to humanity. Um, everything um, promoted through a corona pandemic, uh, cats, uh, syphilis or whatever, uh, putting us all in concentration camps. Mr. Kamkin, according to what you found, could we conclude that the Ukrainian crisis has been orchestrated by interested uh, groups within the US and Europe? And in order to destabilize Europe, the Ukrainian crisis is used in order to orchestrate a global food crisis, fertilizer crisis and energy crisis. That's exactly what I am getting at. Ukraine is only a tool for a destabilization, not only of the relations between Russia and Europe, but also uh, for an energy war and food um, a crisis, because famine is, of course, much more acute and drastic than this uh, corona pandemic. So the upshot is that not only corona is used to foster a panic among people so that those who orchestrate this can implement their own interests, i.e. total control, but as they know a plan B is required, at some stage people won't understand why corona is all that, uh, that dangerous, so we need another panic uh, orchestra and the next one could be uh, insane, um, enacted by Ukraine or in Ukraine, the food and energy crises. Not only in Ukraine and by Ukraine or through uh, Ukraine, I think the food and energy crises and agricultural crises are this, uh, different pathways to the same target. And who's behind it? Wolfgang? Well, there's a field that we haven't discussed yet, so that is uh, the currency uh, issue. Uh, uh, the dollar is a uh, lead currency and Russia's attempts to break free from that. Can you make a connection there? Well, that's an important uh, aspect as well. For instance, Muammar Gaddafi was killed because he wanted to um, find an alternative to the US dollar. 
Right now, what's happening in Russia is that they gradually and piecemeal are uh, trying to extricate them from the uh, dollar yoke, and they are making ever more uh, trade agreements with China in uh, rubles or yuan. And China is Russia's most important trade partner. And with Iran, there are also uh, negotiations to make uh, war trade uh, in national currencies, even though there's not that much trade between Iran and Russia. But those are uh, precedents that are very important. Unfortunately, the American lobby is very strong in Russia as well, uh, particularly in the financial industry and um, in the banking system. And Russia is still banking this fake currency called the U.S. dollar, but there are ever more voices that uh, advocate Russia leaving uh, this uh, dollar yoke. Mr. Kamkin, that is very interesting. We've heard that from other quarters as well. You call it the fake currency of the U.S. dollar. Does that mean that the U.S. dollar has no intrinsic value anymore? Well, the dollar has a value of uh, based on uh, trust and due to the panic of investors, because over the last 30 years, the um, uh, number of um, products has triplified. Um, the uh, volume of dollars increased by uh, increased 40 folds that means that the uh, volume of currency is not covered by any services goods or services so it is a fake it's not for no reason that there's golds uh, reserves by the banks, so nobody, uh, people trust the dollar ever less. But if you have problems in your own country, you need to generate more problems in the other countries, so your own problems don't become uh, too obvious. And that's been the strategy of the Americans the last 20, 30 years. I'd like to add something concerning the food um, problems. Uh, unfortunately, the um, farmer who was going to speak at the end of our session today won't be able to make it, but um, I found out about something that's quite fascinating with uh, reference to, uh, with respect of the use of fertilizers and pesticides, etc. There are new rules for Germany, I think for Europe as a whole, but it's very uh, striking for Germany. Uh, certain uh, measurements have been uh, performed, but they're only performed in very selective points of measurement, which led to a a uh, situation where, uh, for instance, with the farmer we were going to speak to, there's only one measurement point in his uh, city, and that's near the uh, water treatment works from the 1960s. It's uh, apparently not uh, completely tight. So uh, there is increased uh, soil pollution uh, that is measured there, but on his own private uh, measurement stations on his uh, fields, he can determine that there is no uh, over-fertilization. And in uh, my own region in uh, Mecklenburg-Vorpommern, uh, the other farmers from uh, that region as well, the situation is such that 
large um, areas have been declared red areas, 75 or more percent of surfaces of areas, so that means that only very few fertilizers can be used, pesticides. And that means that we have to expect what you mentioned to um, arise for Germany, not only due to uh, a lack of fertilizers and hence low food production, but also due to the regulations that we have, so we will have to expect lower yields. And that is, of course, quite massive, and this seems to be happening at several levels. They, uh, some of them expect that they will lose 50% of their harvest, uh, and if that affects other uh, areas in Europe as well, due to the delivery problems from Ukraine, then uh, Europe as a whole won't have the possibility anymore, and many uh, other places maybe as well, to uh, compensate for these um, food shortages. So we are faced with a, a huge problem coming down the line. And also, a lot of these farmers are already working um, in uh, with um, decreasing profitability. Many of the smaller farmers are, th uh, farmers are threatened um, economically, so uh, they're no longer able uh, to um, um, work their land in a profitable manner anyway, due to all the regulations, and so many more farmers will have to abandon their farms. And I uh, think over the last 20 uh, years, we've seen that uh, the number of farmers or f uh, agricultural enterprises uh, has decreased from 1.5 million to 200,000 over the last 20 years. So we can see a land grab as well. So people don't earn enough money anymore, have to sell their farms. Then we uh, get monopoly structures. Yeah. It's the American, American multinationals who pick up on that, yes. So they step in, buy, all, buy up all those lands, so that will have monopoly structures or oligopoly uh, structures, so we uh, can't ensure our food production anymore because they can afford to uh, allow such lands to fall fallow or so. Isn't there any resistance by the farmers if by the values that have been measured? It's uh, subterranean water and surface water that is monitored. If they get higher values and it's allowed, not allowed to fertilize anymore, it should be questionable for the farmers. Um, the wells are not so deep. They're only 60, 70 meters deep. That's uh, something. Uh, and everywhere where there are wells, uh, you could install these um, uh, measurements. So, uh, from the farmers who are affected, they should be resistant. They should measure themselves and uh, fight against this um, at court. Or is it like in uh, medicine that uh, they get money if they don't do anything? I couldn't say, but I know there's a lot of farmer uh, protests uh, going on these days. But of course, in Mecklenburg, in the region of Mecklenburg, we have the agricultural minister of um, Backhaus, and he is very much linked into the structures that could prevent this sort of thing happening. We should talk to critical farmers to find out what's really going on. If it is planned that way, that uh, yeah, they want to threaten people with hunger, that's something that you have to take care of in due times. That's going to be a topic that we look should look to in detail. 
Well, I just uh, sent it around as an SMS to our internal groups. We need to keep an eye on this region, Ukraine, Russia, and its uh, the neighboring areas. Um, it's uh, becoming ever clearer uh, that there is an encirclement strategy. We have to take a closer look at that because that might actually um, result in um, food chain and energy chain problems. What you just described, Mr. Kumkin, obviously is a suppression of uh, cheap gas supplies from Russia to the benefit of much more expensive and possibly lower quality supplies from the US. Yes, from my point of view, that is one of the final targets, objectives, uh, by threat of uh, famine, by the surging of uh, prices for all raw materials, um, breaking the backbone of the national state, um, states, which is the uh, medium-sized companies, and uh, which are the independent suppliers, the producers, like the farmers, the small farmers, the medium-sized companies of agricultural products, and all these small producers are replaced by uh, large companies, and they are going to establish a monopolistic uh, structure on the markets and, in the end, dictate their prices as they like. And in this situation, the people will simply be slaves of these oligopolar structures. And from my point of view, this is becoming ever uh, more obvious. These oligopolar uh, structures, these uh, multinational structures is what we need to get rid of. That's the enemy, not uh, the Russians, the Americans, the vaccinated, unvaccinated, the black, uh, brown or green. It is those who organize these um, oligopolistic structures, it's not the Americans, not the Russian people, it's the people who try to orchestrate uh, disasters to control us all. They do that in pharmacology, they do that in uh, care homes, all these massive groups where people can get into emergency cases, that's uh, what they do. Where can we cause a problem with people and then um, uh, what, what can we do, what can they do to make money? That seems to be the most profitable structure for these communal people. Hey, they take us to uh, the best globally. Mr. Kumkin, that was extremely uh, meaningful, what you have told us here. It is another light on a problem that we have apparently been lied about for decades. We are looking at staged things uh, leading the, to the objective to get control over the world population. The uh, staged wars, the staged fights are going to bring us up against each other, prevent us uh, from seeing the real enemy, which are the figures playing the strings in the back. And this is a good transition, Mr. Kumpkin, over to Canada, but I don't want to cut you off. Just a short uh, final question. Um, I'd like to know this um, fertilizer supply problem. Uh, is that uh, uh, due to the the ban, or 
uh, is it due to problems in Ukraine? The Ukraine was it used as an institution for the energy crisis and the uh, problems by uh, natural gas supplies made the prices for phosphates, fertilizers increase um, for carbamate, urea, uh, ammonium hydrate uh, have increased by three to four times and Ukraine produces fertilizers as well but not to the same extent as Russia, Foss Agro or Urchem, um, other great producers, big producers supply much more, Ruskali for example uh, do that but altogether the supply chain were interrupted and that leads to the growth of the prices and the higher production costs for the farms uh, in grains which is of course a raw material for cattle breeding and other areas in the agricultural sector and that will lead for the prices of food to surge and that means uh, people will have less opportunity to eat good and um, healthy food in Europe it was not so drastic but in uh, Latin America in Africa this threatens hundreds of millions of people um, to starve and that's the uh, goal of the globalists to create global chaos and people do not understand why and what direction this is moving towards okay thank you very much Okay, so as I said, perfect transition, Viviane, to Ms. Moltan. Do you want to introduce her? Yes, uh, <coughs> we'll speak in Canada with. Mr. Kumpkin, again, thank you very, very much. Yes, thank you very much uh, for inviting me to this session. We'll, we'll surely have to go into the details. I'll be happy to make myself available. Thank you very much. Um, but I'll, st I'll, I'll stick around. I'll uh, listen in. Uh, because that's what it says in our little schedule here. Okay, so so we have the uh, former IID employee and graduate bi biologist with us. Um, Margot, uh, no, sorry, Ma um, Maren Moltan. She lives in. Ca she's been living in Canada since 2001, and she's now basically like embedded, or like at least close to the um, the convoy, uh, um, the freedom convoy in Ottawa. Um, yeah, so maybe you could just like give us some information about the situation. Uh, that you're in right now. I can now. certainly do that. Uh, hello and uh, good day to Germany. It's really yeah. exciting to be here. I want to thank you all for the very important work that you're doing in the Corona Ausschuss. It's an honor and privilege to report, to uh, give some insights on the situation here in Canada. Um, I uh, just want to clarify that I was officially not ever an R uh, ARD correspondent for North America because usually that's what the Washington correspondents um, report to the ARD. There's not a lot of space uh, in the program for anything else. And uh, that is, in fact, a determining um, influence uh, on the perception of uh, what comes out of Canada. It stands very well on the outside. It's known for its peacekeeping activities everywhere, international involvement all over the world. But 
unfortunately it's um, really um, underreported. I would think um, yeah. that uh, Canada in its interior, for example, is treating original inhabitants of uh, the place miserably. For example, just you know what we know from uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, and this is a much longer history than only when he was on um, or, or became a head of the government, that uh, all these official status, Indians or natives or indigenous peoples, uh, every term is politically connotated in some form, um, just don't have any clean water on the reserves because it's all polluted from some uh, mining activity or um, th those are locations that are out of the public's eye. And as soon as the light of uh, any media attention is not there, um, basically these, these industrial activities uh, don't show much accountability or um, don't don't seem to feel the need to stick to the rules and and not pollute the environment. Um, I think uh, be best if I shared my screen first because I really want to make a point in saying how um, how uh, enforcement interacts with uh, the protesters. For example, uh, just recently yesterday, there was the whole uh, parliamentary hill. Uh, blocked off with uh, very high barricades. These seem to be, from what I've seen, uh, higher than uh, three meters. So um, there's there's other material that I want to present you all, but uh, I need to share my screen first of all, if you can allow me that. If you have any questions, because it's not cohesioned, co coherent what I'm saying, because uh, yes, I have been embedded in the convoy. I slept in the Kent section of uh, uh, the convoy. There is different sections all over uh, Ottawa and in the outskirts, because these machines obviously have, are so big and take so much space. They've been separated a little bit and also authorities directed um, the convoy arriving to Ottawa on the 28th of January. I have for you all a map as well, because it's a two um, province situation here in Ottawa or Gatineau. Gatineau is the sister city of, uh, of Ottawa on the other side of the river. And when the bridges are blocked off, you can basically impede traffic quite a little bit or direct traffic quite a little bit depending on how you open the bridges. Okay, there's five bridges and, uh, for example, the central bridges were blocked, but I want to get to that a little later. So let me try to share my screen. It's a bit improvised, I have to apologize, but sleep is really hard to come by in these sub-zero temperatures. And I have to admit that I also was really busy um, staying up late at night, trying to trying to have my camera running in order to um, just document what happens there at night, you know? In what, the is the, what, what is the current status? Is, is there a standoff between the convoy on the one hand and the government on the other hand? Have, uh, how, many, how many trucks are participating 
Uh, and what is what kind of uh, problem does this pose for uh, Trudeau? Um, standoff is completely is a that's a complete misrepresentation. Mm -hmm. the, the convoy is completely peaceful and committed to uh, pacifistic um, civil disobedience. And I just want to show you some images because yeah, the images ahead. just talk so much better than, than what I could hear explained. This is images I just received uh, Friday, I believe, what day is today? Um, excuse me. Uh, Wednesday night, I believe, I received these images. And let me try to play that. That's the wrong one. For example, if I really, I, I would like with my contribution here to dispel the misrepresentation in the for-profit commercial media that this, that this convoy and this protest gets. What really is happening, you can see this here, I think. This is on Friday, the 28th of January. And we are being called white supremacists. Okay, that was initiative of um, Black Caucus members. Okay, and I have this here. I don't know if you can see that. I don't, I'm not sure if I'm sharing the right. Um, well, you, we just saw like a, a black person on a on a basically a. Giant... Can you see a document right now? Not no. yet. We can, okay. we can see your screen. Okay, let me just go back to my finder. Because I have another one here. Watch what happens. Everybody's having a good time. It's joyful. The truckers are welcomed by everybody who is on the hill. You see here, everything's fully accessible. There's no barricades just yet, except for a few ones that were there before. See that uniform person? It's a mixed crowd and everyone seems to be happy about and welcoming the truckers. Okay, so this is our raw footage. Again, I apologize for the improvised character, but I, I have, I'm working pretty much five jobs here. And uh, this is what, where I was. I was on the other side of the river trying to get across the next day. That was Saturday. So this is one bridge that was, that was blocked off. And now um, I'm going to try to just sh change my share. Uh, new share, I think it is. Naturally Blonde here. Thank you so much for being patient with me. Uh, I think I need to go to my Firefox now and share that. I've tried to prepare something with uh, 
iMovie, but I found out that my computer was totally overwhelmed with uh, the resources that that Mother, were give necessary. Us, give for us that. some give us some basic information. Yes, uh, absolutely. How many how many truckers are there? Um, I would think, from what I know, is there is five to six to seven to ten different sections and they all are about anything from 20 to 40 to 60 to 100 machines long so 50,000 trucks that doesn't represent the amount that is here in the capital of ottawa mm -hmm. but one also has to understand that it's like a floating market really so people come and leave uh on the weekend that's a lot more busy uh that means there's a lot of visitors uh pouring in we had uh numbers of a million or even two million people but i think that was uh that was false information i have uh pictures of that as well i just wanted to say a few things to the situation because we're dealing with five different police forces okay the parliamentary hill is right here do you see the map yeah we can see the map okay so this is uh the mcdonald cartier bridge okay this is the bridge i just showed you this was blocked off here whereas the parliamentary hill is right here so the the buses that we saw the trucks that we saw pull in they came this way this is wellington Wellington Street is flanking Parliament. That is federal property. Therefore, you'd be you'd be in your uh, lawful presence to police this area with RCMP, which is the Royal Mounted Canadian Police. That is a federal po uh, police force. Mm -hmm. They also, I believe, um, are policing the bridges. The bridges are federal um, property. McDonald Cartier Bridge. This was, as I said, blocked off. So a lot of people who came in from the province of Quebec, um, just want to zoom out a little bit. So that's, that's, that's the way to Toronto here. That's the way to Montreal in the East. Okay. And, and this is everybody coming in from the province of Quebec here from the North side. That's, that's however, why numbers on the first day on the first days of when all these trucks arrived to the capital, many people couldn't get in and the Ontario side. And uh, these trucks were parked over here. For example, there's a few, there's a few on this street. And I saw other ones. I'd have to show you some images of that. Give us some more information, please. So we have about 50,000 truckers probably more, uh, how, uh, what kind of an impact does it have on the government? Um, that's the million dollar question, Herr Dr. Fröhmich, and, uh, and the reason why that is, is you have reality happening and the perception in the public is a different thing. So, uh, for example, uh, if, you, if you check on my website, there's a few people having had to resign. For example, the Ottawa police chief slowly resigned. That is a black man. Okay. Um, 
some people would say he was there about face in the first place. Okay. These people have roles. They signal to the public. What they internally really do, that is, that is questionable. Okay. And the same is true for um, Ottawa South Councillor Diane Deans. Um, I want to invite you all to find out more about that. This is all explained with links on my website. Um, she was she was heard very um, in, in extreme criticism of um, this peaceful movement. Um, and then basically she was in line for being on the Ottawa Police Board as a representative of the city of Ottawa. She sits in council for Ottawa South. And, and that didn't happen because of um, kind of like an interior coup that was orchestrated by the existing mayor of Ottawa, who felt that was too much of a um, power threat to his position in, uh, in this struggle. Because the, the protests are not in any way a threat to the residents or to the peace in the streets. That I have to dispel that just out of my own experience, even so I don't have the images right now or I'm overwhelmed to show you the Im images and moderate my, my contribution at the same time. Um, however, let me show you some more images here. This, these are images from the Ottawa Citizen, a newspaper that celebrates its 175th um, birthday in uh, Ottawa. So. He, see for yourself i feel okay it's of course it's this is natürlich jetzt noch ein, ein advertisement here es tut mir leid das kann ich leider nicht anders machen just let it play we'll see it but maybe you can maybe you can give us um information aside from the pictures yet das hatte ich ja vorhin uh, zuvor eingestellt it's allowed me was not to what what uh, I mean we have we have received videos um, of for example a former security uh, person who used to protect Trudeau he resigned and he's giving a powerful speech we're going to play that at the end of today's session there's a trucker for example who uh, explains how the, the truckers will uh, make it happen that the uh, share prices of uh, some of the corporations that um, are helping the government um, uh, help with their plan, how he's going to make or they're going to make their share prices collapse. Um, we can see from these pictures that this is peaceful. We can see that um, there's all kinds of people, including black people, um, indigenous people who are participating in this protest. How many people are there? I can't tell you that. I, I like. That's really that's really difficult to estimate. Um, I would think there is at least hundreds of thousands of visitors coming and uh, walking around in the convoy sections, and that's Saturday, Friday. Sunday, those are very, very busy days. I would think that's hundreds of thousands of people. It's just going to be more, I would think, because 
Canadians don't feel that it is necessary to invoke an, uh, a former war measures act. That is total overkill. Looking at how peaceful these people are. I want to show you some of the interviews. Would you like to see these images um, to the end that the Ottawa citizen has compiled? Or would you like to move uh, on to some of my own images? Move on to some of your own images. Okay. I, this is a scene that I have um, pictured, uh, that I captured uh, at night at a fire, at a sacred fire. And uh, this is really uh, Ottawa City Police and City Police of uh, the municipalities of Durham and York that are usually not in Ottawa, seizing gas cans when um, solidaric protesters try to refuel and hand over gas to the convoy protesters. This man is very much in favor of the policing and he's defending the uh, police officers. Later on, I have a trucker who also makes a statement about why he is in this convoy and why he is there at night on site to give testimony. Please bear with me here. We can't hear anything. This is without sound, but you know, like um, this is like a while ago. It's like, what's the current situation? Because there were also information that uh, you know the military, like, um, uh, approached the, the truckers, or like, um, has that is that true or not? Or at least I don't know what the current claimed situation is. Uh, First of all, um, to my knowledge, any new law that is being introduced needs two or three sessions to be passed. Now it's questionable if parliament is gonna sit as it usually sits because um, sessions are not like they used to be to say the least about that. But that's not what I've concentrated on. Like, like I tried to explain, I'm not really a political observer. I've been with the people on the street and I have lots of material about that. Okay, so, but is there any, any police activity or like military activity that you could witness or that people told you about? Or not um, yet? I have not seen any military. Um, however, if the War Measures Act, that is now called the Emergency Act, the Emergency Measures Act, it's like kind of like a rebranding, um, that would uh, make it legitimate to send in military to deal with... Um, the safety at the protest site, for example. So we're on the way to that, but uh, that is not current law as far what as I is, understand that. What, what do you know about Trudeau? Where is he? What is he doing? Um, the last time I saw him, uh, as a matter of fact, I haven't seen him in person at all. I see him on the screen. That's a really good question. You know, because apparently he made an appearance in Parliament when um, a liberal of his own ranks criticized his emergency response and then just walked out of Parliament. That was a few days ago. That was five days ago, approximately. So um, he, he has not addressed the protesters. He has not made an appearance on site. He's, he's, not, he's not present uh, when it comes to um, any kind of strategy uh, 
how uh, how how the protesters are going to even be heard about their demands, which are very simple, and that is to drop the mandates for cross-border travel and uh, commercial delivery. So does, he, does he does he have a strategy or does he give the appearance that he doesn't know what's going on? I mean, if you describe uh, that scene five days ago, someone from his own party criticized him and he just walks out of parliament. It appears to me that he's not in control of anything. He is a puppet and uh -huh. he, he is executing he's executing deals that are that are not visible in the public uh he's it's been it's been well documented that he is uh, a scholar of the davos school and he expressed sympathy for the chinese social credit system china is a a big underlying influence as far as I'm concerned, because the Canadian infrastructure is miserable to say the least. We need roads and uh, trains and also the waterways are very sensitive and not, they don't appear to me as a biologist as a, as a good way to facilitate the exploitation of the resources which of which there are many we're just scratching that mm -hmm. um so it's i would think it's a it's a big powerful underlying geopolitical influence that china really wants to get at these resources and likewise as we can see all over the world in the road and belts uh projects develop that infrastructure mm -hmm. so they can actually get at the resources that's a big problem here in canada i mean Noteworthy also to say, for example, even so, we have these really big tar sands in the West. That's always been uh, an issue of division between the West and the East of Canada. We can't refine that oil. We have one or two refineries mm -hmm. in Canada. We ship it all out for pennies on the dollar and then buy it back. A lot of Canadians don't know that. That is a misconception, it's another misrepresentation, because Canadians really don't benefit from their own resources corporate shareholders are entitled to these claims for very little money i think you can file a resource claim with um the mineral uh, ministry in in uh in ottawa the federal um, authorities facilitating that for about 10 to 20 dollars and then you have the right to dig up somebody's backyard without ever coming up for any damages to repair that because the mining act which a lot of people say it's completely outdated needs needs reformation and an overhaul uh, allows for that it gives you the right if you claim if you claim the stake this like old-fashioned north american north american resource exploitation like 200 250 years ago just like the times of the gold rush it's still the same thing you claim your stake and it's yours and the population has a back seat in this. This has been Canada's struggle for sovereignty apart from the indigenous peoples. These are all common struggles. However, every group struggles for themselves. It's, 
So they it's, have to. It's, it's the a same big story. game of division. That's so, all I can say. So it looks like it's the same problem, like everywhere. Uh, people have to understand who their real enemy is, and they have to understand that they cannot rely on their own leadership because it's not their leadership. This is this seems to be particularly true with respect to uh, Trudeau, as he is. Everybody knows this. In the meantime, a a graduate of the Young Global Leaders Program. He doesn't seem to be capable of dealing with the situation. If he receives criticism from his own party, he just leaves parliament. Um, how do the people react to the measures? One of the measures being that um, they're going to get fined if uh, the truckers, um, if they give truckers food or gas, uh, do they do they help them? regardless of these measures, or are they uh, caving into the measures? Some are and some are not. That's also a really good question. So we don't really know what's going on in Canada. The people, well, I would regret if I leave you with that impression, because my impression is that the people who are parked in the trucks and in limousines and vehicles for solidarity or out of their own concern and being affected by these measures, of which there are many, um, they are doing what they've always done. They are there because they believe in that cause and they want a better Canada that goes back to its tradition of being a free country and helping everybody else to also be free. And welcome everybody who needs more freedom that is how the population sees their country. And that is why it is so questionable not to fly the Canadian flag. I personally think it's really contrived to characterize uh, the protesters as misogynists. That was one of the uh, quotes that we also had from Prime Minister Trudeau. Well, and you know, we all know that this is bullshit. I mean, there's no other way than uh, calling this bullshit. It's like calling anyone who questions any of the measures Nazi, Nazi, right wing, right wing. Exactly. This is a jerk response with absolutely no basis. And I don't think anybody falls for this anymore, except those who have no brain or the brain of an amoebe. Um, we will play at the end of this, uh, of today's session, we will play the two videos. One of them is the um, Royal Canadian Mounted Police Officer who used to be sec a security detail for uh, Trudeau. He resigned his post and he gives a great speech in which he says why he's resigning this post. Um, and of course, the trucker who says, we're gonna bring you down. We're gonna make your market, your uh, share prices collapse. I think that gives us a pretty good idea, uh, even though it seems to be hard to tell from your point of view, uh, whether or not the um, population is caving in or trying to help the truckers. We've seen lots of evidence that they are trying to help the truckers, uh, but of course it is obvious that some people will not uh, be able to withstand the pressure that the government applies on them. It's really, um a division with changing and uh, um, fluid, uh, fluid um, borders. Mm -hmm. And 
whenever there is a gathering of which there are many of people coming together at the protest sites, um, wherever there is a confrontation, I want to show you one thing maybe. Um, mm -hmm. Even so, when I played out of my Firefox, you didn't have any sound? We didn't have any sound, no. Okay. Uh, well, um, maybe I can just comment on that. Uh, people are invited to join the protests. Every time there's a confrontation, the protesters make it very, very clear, we want you on the right side of history. There is a lot of confusion and it's well orchestrated and it's something that the state of Canada is, is used to and very well versed in, it, as so to keep the oppression up at all. For many observers who have been here for a longer time, this is just a continuation of the division that has been in Canada before. But these, these fronts are not, are not um, uh, in stone. This is a moving uh, group and a diverse group. And I think every day, as this goes on longer and longer, and with every new weekend that we have more people come to the capital and reclaim their public property. It's going to be interesting th this weekend, as I mentioned, because now there's been bar barricades, high barricades erected on the parliamentary hill. More people will join the protest and understand that the government has not to micromanage their lives, but the function of government is to assure that every person and every business in the state can also access the market and 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 all the amenities that that are there for a society that tax finances such amenities so this is um from the 12th of february is all well documented as well these are canadian veterans removing barriers from the war memorial that had to be protected this is so annoying. I have a question. Two seconds here. Yeah. I have a question. This is Canada, such a, a state with such a big democratic and civil potential where the people are awake and, and, and are courageous. And so, how could it happen that such a state becomes a failing state? Now, Canada, in my eyes, is a failing state. And how long did it take? Was there some discussion in, on the way or is it a surprise? How did it happen? I, it's very, for me, it's very, very difficult to understand. That's a, that's a really good question. And I think um, you, are, you are very much characterizing um, a typical impression that is in Europe about Canada. I had that impression myself, it's a great, place and people have great quality of life and it's all about tolerance and freedom but in fact the resources are pretty much chained to eight different families which uh, you know in its extreme um, occurrences is, is, is casting the image of a rather feudal society because people who don't who are not born with uh, means and properties are like just like the America, like the American situation, unable to move up in 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 the society 
um, out of their own uh, effort. That is almost impossible now. So if you are born poor, you probably staying poor all your life until you have some way of financing and education. And even then many people, they have a good education, they also can find jobs. So it is a, it's been a subtle um, hidden development to chip away at the middle class. I mean, the economic crisis of the last 20 years have, have, have done something to that. That, that, isn't, that hasn't gone unnoticed or without consequences. So the whole place is, it's just that this 1% and 99% on the other side has become more and more expressed. So the differences are just more extreme now. The richer are richer, the poorer are poorer, and there's a lot less middle class. And besides, I mean, with the deficit now, we've been printing the money to finance this crisis, and we've been printing ourselves into the crisis, really. That, that's another thing I really got to mention, seeing that my material indeed is a little bit older than the very current developments. People are withdrawing their money. And I've seen in the Telegram channels that I'm subscribed to by the truckers and some other info channels that I'm monitoring, that people are recommending everybody goes and takes their money either to credit unions or withdraws their cash or makes sure that they always have enough cash at hand because of course the currency is is devalued there's been seizing there's been attempts to seize the funds for example that were donated over the gofundme page and i've heard the last thing i've heard is that the convoy is going to be moving to cryptocurrency now the commercial banks have developed their own cryptocurrency that they, of course, want to control. Very important uh, remark that we heard um, to the um, murdering of uh, Muammar Gaddafi. Uh, in fact, um, the, the dollar is, 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 is really more and more devalued. This is the same, this is the same um, development this is, that, under, that we're this, seeing is and under, this is an underlying scenario uh, the dollar really is. is the dollar is uh, losing its value um, but as you mentioned if did I understand you correctly the convoy is turning to cryptocurrency meaning this may be the start of a parallel uh, currency in Canada they had raised 9.5 millions over the GoFundMe page uh -huh. and then for some power scheme that I really can't explain. Um, the influence from the Privy Council was as so that this money was seized with um, citing reasons of um, foreign influence and terrorist organization and so, for, so on and so forth, when in fact it was all small amount donations by ordinary Canadians, who then, because there was such a public outcry at the, at the next day, on the next day, um, uh, were welcome to claim their money back from the GoFundMe page, okay? So the, the restriction was lifted again the next day. People got their money back who donated, and many of them then donated double the amount in a different way. One can also email money to the convoy, for example, in um, uh, email money transfers. That's a popular means of transferring money within the borders of Canada because there's no fees related to that. 
And mm. it's just like an email. I don't know if that works in Germany as well. But within Canada, this is how people like to transfer money quick and easy from their email accounts, basically, in combination with their bank accounts. So um, cryptocurrency, as it's being developed independently, cannot be controlled. That's an important difference, I think, to the commercial banking system because the transactions are agreed to at a certain rate, at a certain time, and that is anonymous, that is server orchestrated. This all runs on Linux servers that are fairly um, reliable, I would think. And no one person or no one institution can manipulate that. I don't know if anybody still remembers the LIBOR scandal. People manipulate the currencies whichever way they want, and then we forget about that. So it's really noteworthy to understand that the system as it is, is under, under the influence of the chosen few and always has been. And only some of the manipulations have we even noticed is my, is, is my conclusion out of that. Now, moving to, to, uh, to cryptocurrency, would really be a way around that. I don't know of any way to, to, mani to manipulate independent cryptocurrency. I would stay away from the commercial banks, but independent crypt cryptocurrency should protect from these kind of manipulations as, as far as I know that. Well, if that, is going to be, if that is going to be one of the outcomes of this, that is encouraging because a distrust of banks is always healthy as we've seen from many, many, many banking crises. And as we now know, it is through the financial industry, which is ap more aptly called financial mafia, that they're manipulating everything, including the pharmaceutical and the uh, tech industry. So in that unfortunately, sense, Rainer, I think that the cryptocurrency is not like 100% the way out because there's also like um, various aspects that don't, one would need to look closer in, like who, um, you know, who's maybe behind the seemingly independent uh, cryptocurrencies. And, yeah. you know, there's a lot of things one would need to say. But in general, you know, the idea of something that's mined, um, uh, you know, separate from the banks, and uh, I think is, is in general the way to go to disconnect that's from the whole banking system what you just said but it's interesting Standing to see that the, the people are um, you know donating the maybe double the amount and are still seem to be going strong with their support for uh, you know what's what's happening there with the freedom truckers so I think that's like encouraging to some extent let's see how what's gonna happen and here I see on your Sky News Australia Trudeau has lost control of Canada. At least that seems to be the official narrative. So we have to see yeah, what's going to happen. Let's watch these images, uh, Frau Fischer. Um, then, uh, then you're going to see why that is. If I if I just m may resume this clip of the veterans, they were they, those are soldiers, former soldiers. Okay, big strong guys, and the RCMP who also is um, in charge of the monuments, which are all federal property. Um, they, they are known for bullying people who can't fight back. Okay? I don't want to make this a general statement, but many of these cases surfaced. So if there is people uh, who, who actually can stand their ground because just the sheer physique is, is at an equality, is at par with the enforcement, then they backed away from that. So watch that happening. I think that lead up to the perception um, that Canada 
that the federal government under Trudeau, in fact, did lose control of the uh, enforcement of uh, the monopoly on violence. That is, of course, the characteristic of a lawful state and a lawful society, that enforcement is lawful and that the government is lawful. I think that's what people are most upset about. Now, here they are praying, okay? These are all God-fearing people. I'm really sorry I don't have sound to that. The sound plays on my end, but um, be it. Um, later on, I think the barricades are removed. It's because you have the, the sound on mute. Yeah. I, can, I can turn it on. I was under the impression that also didn't work, but I'm happy to turn it back on. I guess it doesn't work. Oh, man, it doesn't work, maybe. Now they're singing the national anthem. Well, we unfortunately can't hear it. Um, Thank you for letting me know about that. Mm -hmm. I think um, I'm going to need to install a sound module in order to facilitate that over Zoom. I had all kinds of problems and I'm being my own technician, so I apologize for... Well, there must be, there must be uh, more evidence for the uh, equation which, or the, the conclusion that many people draw uh, that uh, the government has failed. Trudeau is failing. I mean, this is part of the picture, but uh, there must be more. I, I don't really know what, what to answer on that. It's, it's really difficult to say anything about that. I believe um, the government is very worried to be perceived in that way. For example, I can see uh, police cars and that is the same four police cars driving around in a big hurry, trying to show as if they were busy, trying to appear as if they were doing things. And there's a heightened police presence on Bank and Kent Street. Lots of police cruisers are parked there from Ottawa City Police. Now these are, I'm not quite sure what kind of police force are there. If that was RCMP, that would be legitimate because as I tried to explain, the monuments, the war monument here is federal property. So you see them withdraw now. You see them go away. Okay, this this lady who shot the video, so she's just an observer herself or a protester. People have different reasons for being at these protests. Well, you but, don't go to protests if you agree with the current situation. So there must be one unifying reason, which means they protest what the government is doing. Some are and some are not. Some are to, I mean, in, instigation is really the, the name of the game here, or, or uh, even um, subversion. So there is lots of people, there is always the occasional person trying to influence the perception. For example, as a reporter on the ground, um, of course, you're trying to tune into what people say on the street. But obviously they don't all say the same. 
So, for example, in, in this situation here, let me turn this back on. So this man was very much in favor of the police force. I talked to another gentleman and he told me, oh yeah, this was just about a car trying to back up out of an area where it couldn't get out. And that's why the police officers blocked the street. But in fact, they were blocking that street so the vehicle with the seized gas cans behind that police line with the red um, toques could, could uh, seize these gas containers and, and disappear. Okay, so this man here, that is a trucker. Okay, he's part of the convoy protest. And so... Okay. You know what? It would be great if you could maybe like put together like a uh, like a maybe link list or like videos from your own uh, that you took maybe for our audience to later look at this because it's uh, you know it's a it's a lot of details and it's kind of hard to uh, for us to get the the overview especially since we can't hear what these people are saying. So, but I think it would be I think I have a little bit of an impression how or like quite a bit of impression of what you think the current situation is, and maybe if you could put together like uh, some more of the uh, current events so pe people can maybe like in a comprised way look at that that would be fantastic and then maybe we can get back together with you like in some maybe next week or so so we can see uh, what 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 the development has been because we also have here our new guest live on stage and uh, it would be great if we could maybe then get some information from you like um, as things develop like a like a breaking news what you call this like a developing story <laughs> ich freu, um, i'm uh, mrs fisher i i i thank you very much i apologize again for uh, the bit improvised presentation it's no problem i'm very much in, in favor in of what you zone, say And especially, um, I want to point out my Twitch channel where I have many fantastic interviews with these fantastic everyday Canadians who just want their freedoms back. They don't want to be hassled. They don't want to show a Vax pass to go in a restaurant. You know, that makes the reporting so much harder. Try to find a washroom. You know, I'm, I didn't get any of the injections. I, don't, I can't see the benefit of it. Um, apparently, there's there's a much bigger scheme going on, and and we are all just uh, laboratory rats to that. Um, many people see through that. Many people don't see through that yet. But the people protesting are trying to make it clear for everybody else that Canada is not a place where authorities and government micromanage every aspect of daily life. And, and that is a wonderful see, uh, thing to see, especially, as I have to say, the whole communication is facilitated without the digital interception of it. So there is, this, these are one-on-ones, people on the street talking directly to each other. This is what I captured in my Twitch channel, which is, of course, at twitch.tv backslash abroadcom. We, it's questionable how long it's going to be up. I mean, I don't have a lot of subscribers, so my interviews are hosted 14 days usually then i gotta do something else with them um and also it's noteworthy that twitch is uh amazon owned that is of course one of uh, the big players who made billions in uh this in these last uh, two years so uh that's you gotta take that for what it is i guess but uh, again 
twitch.tv backslash abroadcom or you can also go to my website at abroadcom.net to follow up on these things on a local level. I try to do as much as I can, but my resources are limited. And if you'd like to fundraise for me, you can also, of course, also donate on my website. I very much appreciate that. And thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. I, I, I just love your show and you're doing these really important sessions for all the world to understand what is really going on and how this is being exploited. Thank you okay, very much, so Ms. Much. <laughs> so keep your ears up straight over there. <laughs> Thank you all very much. Auf Wiedersehen. Auf Wiedersehen. Tschüss. Ja, jetzt haben wir hier in Berlin live mit uns uh, Margot. Back live in Berlin with uh, Margot Zypern. She's a social worker and she is going to give us some insights in the um, youth care institutions. And maybe you can just uh, tell us about your story. Good afternoon. I'm very happy to be here today. Well, I work in a, a local youth office. I am on sick leave right now and I don't want to return to work, actually. Not least because of the corona situation or rather because of the uh, corona situation, I realized um, the whole miserable situation. In concrete terms, I can say um, that I can speak from two perspectives. First of all, as a mother, I have a son who attends school. He has to undergo daily tests because he won't uh, be vaccinated. I am um, his legal guardian and I will decide on that and I will uh, keep influencing him beyond his 18th uh, birthday. Uh, we have a relationship, uh, we're not uh, being divided, we uh, discuss things and uh, consult each other. So he had to be tested uh, twice, he had an um, inflammation in the nose that wasn't pathological but it uh, was painful. Let's maybe move from the uh, bigger picture to the uh, detail. Let's tell uh, see as what your view is of the overall picture uh, concerning the youth office, and then we can go back to the individual situation of your family. Now, how long have you been with the youth office? I've been with the youth office for four, four and a half years. The situation now is uh, be careful uh, as a... Um, a youth office clerk. I think there's a, a space that emerged here that is bereft of any legality. Um, the situation of young people is not verified when it comes to corona measures. Um, we have mechanisms. The youth office and the family court are the institutions that are to protect uh, child uh, welfare in uh, Germany. They no longer uh, do their job. The family court will not look into uh, applications. This is exactly the problem that has emerged now after that uh, Judge Detmar in Weimar has um, ruled this uh, 
important ruling, as we say, about the mass testing and uh, screening in the schools that was stopped uh, from the court. And then you told us there was a paragraph 8. Um, Article 8 uh, of the Criminal Code, and that is the uh, protection um, command. The uh, youth office is to protect uh, child welfare, and the lawmaker says quite clearly that if the youth office learns about child abuse, it has to take action. It's not an option, it is obligatory. So after I got the information through you about this corona murder agents uh, uh, agenda, uh, as well as other information um, that I garnered from other conversations. I was shocked. And after um, this uh, court ruling, I couldn't read it in one go. Um, I had to put it aside. I couldn't uh, believe what I read. I couldn't believe what the government, um, which I represent as a, a member of the youth office staff, what is being done to people how they are being abused, how child welfare is threatened by the government. And it has been consistently uh, threatened and endangered, and this continues. That is something you have to know and have to see. Paragraph 8a would be as soon as there is um, the risk or the welfare of the child is endangered, and that's become aware to the office, then they have to um, assess whether to take action and take action if necessary. What happens in reality? In reality, what happens? I can only talk about the um, use office that I work for. Uh, social workers were hired um, because the Senate says there's not enough uh, workers available. You can find them, unfortunately, with um, independent um, institutions. I can't remember any uh, considerations of how uh, such workers can be um, tied to the office, how they uh, can be retained, um, um, no communication with each other, which is something that should work. Um, no, it didn't happen. So that's a point where I, well, that's just one piece of the puzzle because uh, they hired young social workers without any experience, most of them fresh off university. Maybe they had an internship with the youth office and that's it. And they are um, overwhelmed with work. It's not like they uh, introduced them uh, piecemeal to um, social uh, youth work. Um, and uh, you have to be able to handle this uh, workload. That's the situation we have. So under these circumstances, we cannot ensure child welfare. So that means there are people that should, uh, that would need expertise uh, to assess a child's uh, well-being. And these people are not available. Even if uh, some people say we have an issue, we need help, nobody would come to do that, is it? No, what we have in the office, a child welfare officer and then uh, internal um, uh, administrative staff, um, they are hard to contact because they are overwhelmed with work. So it's a situation where I have to caution uh, you, um, if we continue in this vein, 
more bad things will come down than are already happening now. And I point out uh, Article 8 again. That is the basis for a work. And family courts, uh, please go through the uh, ruling from Weimar. That'll give you all the uh, all you need to know you don't need to need more that's sufficient well sufficient uh, maybe you could describe the situation prior to corona and what changed was there more focus before on the child's well-being and they were become more active or did you see deficits at that time as well do as well well, previously we had a colleague in my region, a, a very well-experienced um, social worker. We formed a team, we got along very well, we went from conversation to conversation. Um, we spent hours and hours and hours doing that. And we nearly said, uh, maybe the best thing is you move in with me. That's the situation it was. Now she... Um, uh, retired and the situation changed so that now we have new young colleagues who were hired sometimes colleagues who were still uh, hadn't st finished their university studies yet so it's unfair to dump these people on those uh, posts so they can't handle the workload and they don't have the background because the um, admin uh, uh, staff are uh, shorter staff as well so you can't just call them up and say oh uh, what do we do here or there or to have some um, exchange of um, information one colleague joked at some stage that I'm um, discussing cases with a janitor here and that is quite uh, poignant well in the lockdown crisis um, more problems have come up for the child and the uh, children and the adolescents and in uh, families where they had stressful situations they were put together and these things made escalate so you didn't see that the senate tries to um, balance this off in some way not at all citizens um, it was made more difficult for citizens to have access they couldn't go to uh, city hall anymore uh, which is responsible for my region um, it was only about whether you were invited where do you go um, so you're selected uh, at the entrance now you have to be uh, uh, injected uh, recovered or or tested you can't access and there are families, um, well, um, who goes to the youth office? The stories uh, circulate. It's not a place that people are happy to go to. And by making access uh, more difficult, you make it more difficult for uh, families to uh, find help, to diffuse situations, uh, that they find somebody that you can talk to and to, to um, change a situation. I have a question. It's a very difficult work and always has been with uh, families and children and adolescents that what needs a lot of experience. So what has changed now in the type of cases that you are working with since the uh, precautions have been taken and the measures have been taken? What is the content change? 
Well, in terms of contents, uh, in the short period of time that I worked in the youth office again, uh, very little has changed. As far as I can tell, critical cases, as far as I know, aren't um, kept with colleagues, um, but if they believe that the crisis has been overcome, then they um, leave uh, the families and the people alone. Um, they leave them in the lurch. So a, a family wasn't possible to contact, the, a school wasn't capable of contacting the youth office. There was a, an, an event, an accident, uh, an, an, um, uh, an event that happened in a, a school and um, there was a crisis case that they uh, needed to deal with and uh, the youth officer who would have had to deal with this um, was not available and i don't want to uh, accuse this specific uh, colleague i want to accuse the system as a whole now what situation do you expose our colleagues to they have families themselves and they need to get their brains uh, clear they need to get out of this situation so that they can restart the next day uh, with new verve and this is not allowed they just are swamped with work and everybody somehow tries to muddle through but with a view to if we look at the situation prior to the pandemic and now two years into the corona measures and if we look at that paragraph 8a i think sgb 8 <clears throat> that is the administration law to 1666 bgb uh, that is if uh, there are any indications on the risk of the benefit of a child it has to assess the risk including specialists department did that take place before uh, for example if there was a school reporting about a teacher touching children would prior to corona the uh, office had taken his job and do something or and has this changed or is it all the same it's all great wonderful my experience would be that where you have experienced colleagues who have an impact on their team crisis situations are taken more seriously and they deal it uh, with them in a more um, expert way than if uh, younger colleagues are involved who had never a chance to develop um, their responses in uh, their practical work. I mean, they, they only train, but they never have a practical experience. So now some crisis cases may not uh, be dealt with and might be neglected because there's no appropriate uh, staff available. Yes, I can imagine. But you would say before it was a bit uh, coincidence who you got, whether you help or whether these experts sat together and looked at the case, but the chances were higher than in the past and now, especially with the general things like that problem with the mask and so on. Is that something one can say? Yes, you can say that. Um, of course, the situation has been aggravated again because we have this added fear factor now. 
and uh, the colleagues, I don't know how critical they deal with this. Um, and my experience is that they have no critical view of it at all, that they simply absorb this uh, fear. Like myself at the beginning, I also um, uh, had the um, uh, adopted this anxiety, as it were, and I had to see how can I break through the surface and, and br uh, catch my breath again. But uh, now we have to move on. We can't simply make ourselves available to the uh, politics, uh, to the politicians, and they decide about uh, uh, child welfare. And I have to say, no, uh, this is um, a threat to child welfare. These measures will have uh, long-term effects. We don't know what the impact will be in the long term. Certainly not a positive one. That is obvious. We leave our children in the lurch. And just one more word on it. My vision is a uh, very um, pessimistic one because there's no action being taken here. I have a crash example, example, a murderer, for instance. Once he has his foot in the door and the door is open and he's in, he has 100,000 opportunities to kill you. It's variable. It doesn't matter. What's important is that he put his foot in the door. And uh, here, basically, the the law or the lack of legality um, is something that got its foot in the door. So that means, bottom line, that according to your impression, the task uh, that should be fulfilled according to paragraph 8a is not um, done, and you've just come up with a dramatic example. Does that mean that the children are thrown in front of the system that eats them up? That's exactly what it means. Exactly that's what it means. Because otherwise the institutions would have to take action. Why don't they? There's nothing uh, clearer than this law. It's a very generic. It says where there is a risk, a danger to child welfare, and, and, and it's obvious, it's on the table. Uh, we don't need to prove this anymore. Um, and then it says politicians take action. But first of all, the youth office and the family courts have to uh, determine that there is this um, risk to child um, uh, welfare, and they don't. And they just um, go through different um, paragraphs of law, and, and they say, no, we don't see this threat. Well, if you hear that, it's gruesome that the people who are paid by our tax money to protect our children, that they simply don't do that job. Uh, in and it's in the health offices, in the youth uh, welfare offices. Did you meet people who say, "I am out. I protest. I'm not playing along anymore." Is there an exchange of some kind, or do you think they all walk along? They go along. Otherwise, they'd be out there uh, demonstrating on the streets. It's not happening. But. Um, in their minds, um, people have contradictions. They see contradictions, and colleagues wonder how is it? How come I am uh, alone in handling a psychological service here, and there's no colleagues to support me, and I just have to sign everything off? Uh, is that the way we can handle social work, uh, psychology, handling all the families?
can we, uh, well, we're in the year of 2022. We're not talking to the 16th century here. We know a lot. And why don't we apply these this knowledge? And that's why I'm here. Just because of what you just said, it's about citizens' interests that are being uh, trampled upon. It's not about citizens' welfare that we're dealing with here. Do you sometimes go into hospitals? We hear that youth psychiatry is overrun and there are so many cases that have come about due to the measures. Is there any opportunity to visit children there who are inpatients in these institutions or is there any other kind of cooperation with these institutions? There is cooperation with these institutions, but uh, they sometimes are overcrowded as well. And that didn't start with Corona now. Uh, child and uh, youth psychiatry is uh, increasing. That's my impression. Um, dis um, disturbances are increasing. Uh, well, society generates this situation so that children don't even have the chance to develop according to their uh, own requirements. Um, just think of the schooling system. There was this young man uh, some time ago who spoke about a different approach, an idea of uh, teaching uh, children which uh, would uh, more cater more to the natural exploration uh, needs of children. Well, uh, it seems to me that in the crisis there is many more children who are having problems because they are subject to extreme situations that they live in in the closeness of the family during the lockdowns. So it's quite clear that in families where there may be problems with the marriage or alcohol, um, that these children are much more subject to these kind of things. So in this concrete situation, could you find that this is an increase, there's an increase of this or by colleagues, or didn't you simply not accept them because you said colleagues were not available for extreme cases? I can't tell. I have been uh, on sick leave for a long time. I've only been uh, back on active duty for a very short time, so I can't tell. My experience, however, uh, has been that um, during the period where I uh, was out sick, there were five crises that weren't um, handled appropriately or not at all, and I reported it to the police. It's now with the prosecutor as far as I've uh, learned, and I wonder, I'm curious to see how the legal system will handle these cases. Well, we don't have to put our hopes there, I would say. There are exceptions, maybe, but uh, would you say, if I can put it as a picture, if the health office, the youth office, uh, giving in that uh, um, definition, as according to paragraph 8 SGB, that's usually the fist to protect the face of the child. And now the fists are down. Is that right? That's exactly the way it is. I've tried to point it out. But the input that we give isn't even uh, acknowledged. 
what happens is, well, stop doing that, not in the name of the uh, social office, otherwise there'll be legal consequences. What? Does that mean uh, protecting the child has may have legal consequences? Yes, true? the fact that I pointed out that according to the Weimar uh, ruling, the situation is clear, and I think this has to be reviewed by the family court. Uh, I, this describes um, uh, the welfare of the child, um, the, the uh, risk to the welfare of the child, and we need to review this. First of all, it wasn't... Uh, handled at all, then I uh, contacted the child welfare office in our um, office um, and then the head honcho came along and said, stop here what and now. Would you say that is an effect uh, of the uh, working against the Weimar judge? Is that a signal? Uh, that means the uh, searching and the confiscations. Is that a signal that goes to the Youth Welfare Office? If you're not on uh, government line and if you protect the children, you will have problems? Maybe so, maybe not. Maybe they were already uh, in line politically and are just uh, using this card now, playing it. So the, the, there is a story um, years ago, Mr. Bon, in Berlin, I forgot the name, Kenta was that project, yes. Yeah, it uh, went on into the 80s. This uh, pedagogy is uh, where we were working and since the situation hadn't been discussed appropriately and has hadn't been shown transparently uh, this can be repeated again and again um, we have to know that that's nothing unusual um, it's obvious something that hasn't been put on the table that you haven't considered reviewed been analyzed that this can repeat itself and uh, the what was this uh, canter project the youth office had the notion of pursuing uh, the idea of allowing children to live with pedophiles. What was the justification? Because then they would receive the love of the pedophiles. You couldn't be more stupid. Uh, black pedagogy, uh, that's really a bottomless pit. Who was responsible for that? I wouldn't remember. But I know that a psychologist um, was behind this and the youth office um, adopted this notion. So who's, uh, who's the worst um, perp there? And that went on into the 1980s, the 80s. We're not talking... It carried on much longer, Mr. Bun. I... Um... I had um, abused children as my own clients, and that went right into the turn of the century of the millennium, and uh, that the youth offices opened all the gates for these pedophilia. And if I see Corona now, I see that is just the next round at a next level. Apparently, this is uh, intent, and the children are used for that. That's what they do. And it's important for citizens to know that. 
So, of course, the big risk is, as you've just been saying, that if the political and means the unscientific, uh, uh, un, the layman, so to say, uh, and how people who don't uh, treat children, who know, don't know how to address children, uh, now the child has to uh, follow all this without any assessment. Of course, you can imagine that there's more stories going on. And so, uh, does it have to be vaccinated? Um, so, do cr good, uh, maybe critical questions at uh, um, uh, parents um, may uh, be not worth having the child, uh, maybe better off with a pedophile pedophile uh, parents. Uh, we don't know all of that, but uh, the point is if you um, open the store, it may open a flood. What um, uh, would you expect concretely if the um, findings um, of the um, Weimar uh, ruling, which have never been uh, contradicted, never been attacked. A, a child's uh, a mother complains that my uh, child is being tortured in school, can't go to school anymore, can't sleep anymore, she can't uh, take uh, these cruel PC artists um, uh, stabbing their noses um, every day. Will the youth office say, uh, tough luck, uh, we can't do anything because the government has a different line? Yes, that is to be expected. There's so they wouldn't reject this? No, and there's no assessment either. So uh, if there is uh, abuse of child welfare, and uh, as long as that's done by the and ordained by the government, then we have to accept it as the youth office. Otherwise, we would hear things. I would hear things. You would hear things. There would be an outcry in the uh, population, but that's not the case. And it's not... Uh, Clarified Stiftung uh, Warentest, the consumers um, uh, testing um, uh, protection uh, agency, uh, stopped the te mass testing because it is too dangerous. But I see children in the subway wearing these masks. The damage is done. Well, you can go see the authority, say, for medical reason, my child cannot wear a mask. Uh, so yes, let's assume that the parents do that. And you don't even need to go see a doctor. You can go to the health office or to the... Um, so then inside the uh, um, the authorities, you have to go that and uh, you have to make a claim, an application. I've uh, never seen that kind of application. I don't think they would uh, process this. As a, um, a staff member of uh, the youth office, they didn't accept my application for SGB 8A. Um, I said there is uh, child abuse here, and um, that's been proven already. It's been found by a court of law already, so we don't have to prove it anymore. So how they wouldn't uh, take that on board, so how would they deal with a, a, a parent who uh, calls for help here? That's what politicians do as well. They uh, put a wedge between parents and children. It's obvious that parents have an influence on their children and that the children have an influence 
on their parents in a community have influence on each other and that's logical and it's shown like as if it's something bad so the normal thing is shown as an evil thing but that is life you influence each other mutually and of course i influence my son by telling him no uh, you can't have this vaccine so children and parents are divided that's your perception is it that's my perception that corresponds to what I heard from other pedagogists who have been working in the system as teachers, as uh, uh, um, as helpers, trying to destroy the union between children and parents. That's my impression. My son uh, got a letter and was, I don't know by who anymore, uh, with a, a call to uh, get a vaccination. Um, I um, picked the letter from the letterbox and I opened it and I uh, was um, thinking I'll um, get physical vis-a-vis uh, -vis these people who sent this. My son is 17. I'm the guardian, the legal guardian. He's not able to decide this. He's in uh, still undergoing puberty. That's my decision. And of course, you will involve your child in the decision, but at the end of the day, I am responsible for my child's welfare. And that's not nothing that politicians can decide, that is me. And in that respect, this uh, concerning the information we have, this uh, vaccine, it is a, um, a murderous weapon. It's a Russian roulette, and I have a bit of fun if I play Russian roulette. Well, as we've just heard, it's an extreme risk, just like Russian roulette, you're right. So, if from your experience, in the time when you were active in service, talking about the beginning of the so-called crisis 2020, if you look at what happened at the time, of uh, possible endangerment of the welfare of children. Was there an increase of reports of domestic violence, or is that uh, the same? Has there any been any notable increase um, of these reports? I don't think so, but at the youth office, were also used to support schools uh, in evaluating crisis situations. And I'm responsible for a school. And the social worker of that school contacted me and we spoke about the overall situation and she doesn't know what to think. Um, there are so many questions. There's so much uh, aggression that has come to the fore at the school. And so many questions that the children and young people ask her, and it doesn't go um, past them without uh, any problems. And if you are uh, dealing with puberty, of course, and your own body, um, then what happens in society doesn't bypass you and uh, to absorb these questions and take the time to answer them. One social worker in a school can't do anything about this. We really uh, would need additional therapists, psychologists, who can answer the questions that the children have and who help explain what's really happening now, what kind of a situation we're in now. 
that uh, these people um, in the streets aren't Nazis uh, wearing brown clothes, but uh, brown shirts. But it's it's a question of the attitude here. Well, if there is no increase of reports endangering the child's welfare, uh, we've heard from others domestic violence. We've talked to a psychologist who said that this is increasing due to the lockdowns, for example, because people who are aggressive and always tended to uh, uh, beat up their children, if they are put in small uh, flats together with these children, it's uh, common sense to imagine what happens, that the problem will grow. But you say from your uh, experience there hasn't been an increase, um, but if I interpret that right, what you said, there has not been any effective if, um, will to protect the ch child if these reports came in. I don't really understand the question. Well, that uh, uh, the youth officers uh, didn't live up to a responsibility. They would have uh, followed up on this in the past, and now they say, well, we're not interested, or people have to accept this because the situation is what it is, and uh, that everybody has to make their contribution or whatever. Well, let me just put it this way. The um, youth health office is badly staffed, simply. There is no experts there who can do the job. Apart, there need to be experienced social workers who have been around for years. But it's not only that one social worker can describe or assess a situation, but as you have pointed out, it is a gremium, a board of experts that has to be made available, and especially the aspects endangering the, the well-being of the child are looked at. It doesn't make sense if inexperienced colleagues talk to each other. Of course, it makes sense if they do talk, but not in this kind of situation. Um, this is about looking how can we avoid the worst and um, help people in the situation best possibly. That's what we need to do. If I see how incredibly uh, much money is spent on masks and PCR tests, and then hear about your description of the situation from a youth office, I must, I'm afraid that this is representative. We've heard, after all, similar reports from others. Would you say then, uh, based on your own uh, evaluation, that this poor funding of um, youth offices, um, despite the um, existence of sufficient money, is that intentional? Do they want to stop youth offices from um, caring for um, child welfare? Yes, that's my impression, especially if you have that protective wall, uh, it takes time. You need to talk to people. Uh, to the, you have to build up a working relationship and that goes beyond. You have to build trust. People have to open up. They don't have to be afraid that uh, uh, there may be uh, negative consequences. So they have to be able to describe a situation and me as the expert, uh, 
I should be able to look and uh, give some ideas, first of all. Maybe look at the situation from that side. Or did you try this or that? That takes time. That is... With all the information that I have, I'm not alone. So I have to share uh, with my colleagues and 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 um, discuss uh, with people who are experienced in the medical area, in the psychological area. So there should be exchange to find a way that we can offer to the family. And this is not happening because the experts are not there. You can't just uh, go knock next door in the office and talk to to someone, uh, the people who move up as young, unexperienced colleagues, no way. Well, what's kind of um, irritating as well is that, uh, well, in normal operation before the start of the crisis, and even then there seems to have been shortage of staff, but maybe it was tolerable um, as you have uh, understaffing and uh, some um, authorities, maybe overstaffing and others, but nevertheless we can see, um, and it has been underscored uh, several times over, that it's too harsh on families. And it's really amazing that there was no um, increase of staffing um, because there were things that maybe only rudimentarily, but maybe through uh, discussions, uh, conversations via Zoom might have been an effort to counteract this and by not doing anything, even though it is public knowledge that it's difficult, is pretty monstrous, really. Uh, the preventive idea is madness. It's the most expensive way to take care of mental health of youth uh, uh, and children uh, is to send them to hospital. That costs thousands. Uh, uh, you can pay a social worker for half a year uh, for that money. That's absolute waste of money, even economically. Well, the bad thing is that one thing is paid by the insurances and uh, prevention is to be paid by the public. But the political responsibility for that holistic view is in the responsibility of the social ministry and the social minister. And they should make sure that this does not happen, that uh, people um, are prevented <coughs> and that um, the families are supported in handling their problems. That these problems have been caused by the politics is, of course, making things worse. And maintained. Um child, uh, the, the threat to child welfare has been created by the government and maintained by same. That is a tough cookie to swallow. And uh, particularly for me, as a member of the um, youth office staff, that was a toad I had to swallow. It's also hard for those who did work in that apparatus before and were caring. It's difficult to understand how suddenly they are used for something that's the opposite of what their actually uh, work should be. They are used to carry on with something which is the exact opposite of what they've learned, what they've been trained for. And that must be unbearable for most of them. And uh, getting out of that and saying, I'm out, I think is very difficult. But uh, luckily, there are many who do by now. You, for instance, Ms. Ziban. At the end, uh, we will uh, see this video that I mentioned already, where a former um, 
bodyguard of uh, Justin Trudeau says in a public speech um, declaring why he uh, won't do his job anymore, distancing himself from anything to do with the job and the implementation of the policy, the broken policy, including masks, PCR, vaccinations. It's amazing that so many people, other than you, other than this member of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, so many physicians, lawyers, just sit tight, not doing anything, sacrificing their own children to the system. We can't explain it other than um, that it goes along with decades of brainwashing that took us to this corner where we are obedient, trusting the states, um, which we know if we use our brains that it's not our government, and the panic that had been artificially fostered. Or do you have another example for this uh, explanation? I have exactly that explanation. Panic is a big factor in this. If I talk about myself, that is what moved me to go along initially, the fear uh, to get infected by something and die, simply. Uh, yes, uh, TV shows us that, work is full of that. We were separated into groups. The access to the people was not possible. And then only uh, with given conditions, very restricted. And that takes effect. You can't forget that. If you um, move around in your work all day and you've uh, confronted with this all day, it uh, does something. <clears throat> May I uh, um, get back to a case that you anonymously pointed out where uh, there was a case where a child was not supposed to be uh, taken to psychiatric uh, care. And then in the group, uh, it was discussed, and everybody thought that he's supposed to go to the psychiatric ward until you said, well, we have an expert opinion here. To the contrary, is that right? Yes, more or less. In a case where we just uh, run, where we discussed uh, one of the cases where the school director insisted that the child cannot go to school anymore because it was uh, said, yes, but a gremium of experts who were in contact with that child and said, no, it's okay, this child, you don't have to do anything. Uh, you just have to see on where, where does that behavior come from and what to do about it. And the uh, director insisted that that child would go to a psychiatric hospital and uh, that was then discussed in the group and nobody came up with the idea to question this and ask why and uh, after a while i asked uh, well my statement no psychiatry no way the free uh, roaming uh, the free um service suppliers joined my view and that changed the turn of the discussion. But shocking, you could have been out that day, um, out sick or whatever, and then um, but there wasn't an intensive discussion of uh, this expert opinion. It, it seems there's some dynamism that arises and suddenly a child is in uh, psych psychiatric care and then takes a different uh, road 
then it uh, then he might have taken if you uh, if he'd been given the support so that contradicts the responsibility for have this young life there now another question uh, wasn't there any time where there was a trend uh, towards uh, discussing this more uh, watch it there's something coming down the line how can we handle this with the children even from the point of view that these uh, people were of course um, caught by the uh, panic narrative of corona so um, th there will be uh, the children will be frightened uh, if we really uh, dealt with a lethal virus then of course it's a question of how can you handle the the fears of the children was there that kind of talk no not really between us the social workers I was just told that this is a discussion that is not wanted in order to keep the to not unrest the group, whether the experts uh, met up and the bosses met up and discussed uh, anything, I don't know. This is not, we're not informed about that. But there was no vivid exchange um, in this. Um, on the contrary, it was rather stopped. That's strange because you're at the forefront. You could have. Uh um, given them um, information on, oh, well, I um, find that the children can't handle this or they can handle it very well, whatever. But that's uh, what the um, powers that be can base their decisions on um, if they um, discuss with the people who are at the forefront um, whether you see we have children panicking or uh, increased drug abuse or whatever. All the people who work there have a lot of work to do. And the crucial point that's missing is transparency and uh, communication. It's a strong hierarchy, and that is what needs to be adhered to. And if you don't, you are dead. And you're not in the team anymore. And that's it. End of story. And even more, the communication in public services is uh, very de degradation, has a lot to do with bullying. Uh, these are conditions and situations that are very, very bad. What does that mean? What's that mean? If somebody contradicts the system, then they are denigrated in a critical con uh, uh, discussion and then they're being bullied? Well, I would even say bullying is a way of communication that is uh, taken as a course. If um, something is unliked, uh, well, being aggressive is uh, possibly um, uh, can be can be fined. So you just treat people unjust uh, and. Uh, that's it. And so some people are protected. And I've heard that from many colleagues. And uh, I've been through this. They um, reported to me. This is the standard way. It's a very, very bad but standard situation, which is not protecting any of the children. Obviously, um, that seems to be your impression. Obviously, uh, the whole system um, only pretends to be uh, committed to child welfare and does the opposite, really. Well, if you can tell the citizens a nice story, that's uh, where the uh, youth office comes in. But when it is about protecting the children actively, 
looking at the uh, situation from a different perspective, like this one now, like the situation now, that's uh, a complete failure if it is about the uh, if we can uh, bully the citizens look that's what you have to do there you have a problem we have to do that's what they do where we come active whatever uh, what could you give an example of, of telling things to uh, citizens If, uh, for example, I get an anonymous report uh, from a multi-flat building, for example, and I can't sleep at night, I hear children crying, and... Uh, so that go, um, go, uh, implies a, a child welfare risk. Uh, yeah, but that's what I wanted to point out. If you can address the citizen, you do that but not if there is a general uh, threat to the benefit of the or the well-being of the children. And this is the institution that is there so, for it. Ms. Zibbert, I understand that uh, if in individual cases the system can say, OK, where we have an individual case, we'll pursue it, or um, there's another individual case, uh, we'll uh, pursue it, then it works. But if we have a systemic failure, uh, like we have it now, an institutionalized abuse of child welfare, then um, nothing is done anymore. Nothing. Yeah, nothing. Even though we have to say it's not only institutionalized, it's also individual cases. If one child, one parent, for instance, um, or a neighbor um, contacted you and said there's this child who has to keep vomiting because she has to wear a mask all the time or she's being harassed by the parents uh, to wear the mask, that would be an individual case that you really should have to pursue, right? But nothing happens. I don't think that will be taken seriously. For me, that's unimaginable. So anything which is in line, on the government line, is accepted, no matter how um, bad it is for child welfare. Yes. The, the the state cannot endanger the well-being of the child. That's non-existent per se. That's the way it is. So if we uh, pursue this, then teachers couldn't be pedophiles because they couldn't be um, persecuted. I wasn't too serious about what I said either. But that is the risk uh, involved here. That's the danger. Of course, it could be even worse. Uh, I could uh, come up with some decrees uh, on behalf of the government that uh, children have to be uh, put in a very small room and they have to find a way and they have to accept it. And that's what they're doing today uh, in terms of uh, daycare um, in the area where I work. I know that if you have an emergency, sometimes it's important for children to um, get daycare, um, to get away from all that crap, if I can say it. They put uh, two, three, four, five times the number of children in daycare uh, than the facilities are designed to cater to, um, to help the children. But at the same time, what does that do to the children then? And instead of calling a halt and uh, always to uh, say we put in more, or we could say simply there's enough money there, there are d ideas available. We can't just continue doing the same crap for a hundred years, um, seeing how child welfare 
seems to be increasingly devalued, ever more included, um, subsumed to, to other um, aspects or needs, uh, even though the law says that child welfare has to take top priority. Everything has to be measured with the yardstick of child welfare. That's the law, but it doesn't happen. So that's what we have to do to ensure child welfare implemented, protected, and all that doesn't happen. And that is especially scary and should lead to an outcry because we're not talking about anybody here. We're talking about the weakest of the weak of the society. The children, of course, the elderly as well, and both are hit and beaten up. And if the protection of the weakest in the society who can't defend themselves yet, the old can't defend themselves anymore, if that is only a uh, protection that is just a farce, we are in disaster and nobody wants to know it. I always try to not see only the individual parts of a jigsaw puzzle but the overall picture and if I look at where are we from that Kendler experiment which is an absolute disaster we we'll wonder how this is politically possible uh, we wonder how po corona could be politically possible that's what we've seen now we've seen that nobody cares for the welfare of the children at least as long as there's a uh, institutionalized misuse of children with masks and PCR tests if I think down that line it is well possible that tomorrow there is some infection acts uh, saying that uh, children or anybody who has three children they third uh, child has to be um, given to a pool of pedophilics. All that seems to be possible and it would just go through because uh, nobody reacted down until now. Well, against the background of these uh, messages that everything is uh, getting less um, um, bad or is getting milder, um, I have some information that I would like to contribute uh, that Fits this. Good. I uh, wanted to add a little thought. With the children, we have an even worse situation than with the elder. Both are vulnerable groups, but many elderly are not vulnerable in the sense that they uh, can't do uh, about their own business. We have very many elderly people. We have uh, many had many here who are top fit and who are in uh, full uh, control of all their business and their mind, and that uh, applies to many other elderly as well. And all of these. Uh, in the homes where people are maybe a little bit restricted only um, with dementia or something, these were forced. Uh, the grandma who's fit, who wants to decide that she wants to see her children, her grandchildren, she wants to take that risk. She doesn't want to not see her grandchildren for two years. That's been taken away, but a group that is perceived very vulnerable, we have no child that can decide with two years old whether it wants to do an investment or something else is they can't do their own business for a long long time and there the, all this state uh, care is simply uh, removed and is um, dominated on others uh, and that is another special dramatic view of that disastrous so this conclusion here, particularly when it comes to child protection, child welfare, this is a real disaster. It couldn't be much worse. Well, well, or not so well. 
Is there anything that you would make, um, Ms. Sibon? Uh, is there any light at the end of the tunnel that we can see, or do we have to say there's no light visible at the end of the tunnel? Well, if the conditions remain as they are, I see a black pit. Uh, you have to do fundamental changes and uh, adjust to the conditions that life goes on. It doesn't make any sense in a situation that we are in to carry on with what we have been doing. Again, Ms. Zubon will have to conclude again. Those of us who can see the overall picture have to leave the system and um, extract their children from this system. Homeschooling, look after your children like the, uh, in the good old days, but definitely don't leave them um, uh, to this destructive system. Absolutely, because it's not uh, addressing the needs and development of a children. If you see the uh, daycare that the uh, government sends the children, they are overstuffed. How can people uh, work with uh, children there, especially the small ones? Well, you have to be aware and quick in your reactions. That is impossible. I can't work that way with respect to that uh, well-being of the children. And uh, so this is nothing new, by the way. This is old findings and it has to be addressed and changed. And that's where I see the problem. There's no action taken. And um, if there's no pressure from the citizens that say, no, we uh, think our children are more valuable, like all life is valuable, and they need something different in school in order to uh, be able to flow in their thoughts. And uh, that'll positively return to the society. How do developments take place? Um, they take place by people looking at from different views at things, and only that way a society can grow in a positive manner. Everything else is control, and what we see here is in risking the um, uh, well-being well -being of, of the child to a large extent. Well, that's the impression you get. You are a very courageous woman. I'm impressed. We need more of that. I think it's great. Thank you for your openness here. Well, only through you, your uh, program, your information. That's why I'm here. And I would like to uh, thank uh, Wolfgang Schiedrich, who has uh, supported me well, thank you very much to you as well. Wonderful, wonderful. People like you are the multipliers that uh, what the rest of this society dearly needs. Those who haven't died yet at least need these multipliers. Carry on. We'll be on your side. We'll always be on that side. Well, thank you. Yes. And we need courage, more courage for a long time. We thought when it all started two years ago that it is an episode, like swine flu was an episode or other episodes where there are crises. But in the last year, we have 
found out this is not an episode, that we are looking at something that has been prepared for many, many decades in a way that our institutions that we depend on have been undermined, have been bought, have been bribed, have been pressurized so that they don't do what they were originally created for. And it's not stopping. In some regions of this world, there are revolutions against this. People fight back. We've heard from Canada today, and we hear it from many European countries as well, that people don't accept it. And this is why... The other side is being tactical. The Rangers are going to let loose. They don't care about any virus at all. If you talk about virus, um, you do them a favor. They use the viruses only to distract us from doing what they want to do. And we're going to see that we will be relieved, feel relieved, but I want to make sure that what's going to happen early March, uh, early March, they're going to meet in the WHO with concrete plans for the, another emergency. That could be climate, that could be hunger, anything that has to do with health, and it all ends up in health. They're going to set up rules that automatically can be implied applicable worldwide in each country. So no critical government can say, no, we're not going to do this. Then the countries that are members of the WHO or stay there are enforced, uh, forced to carry on. This is planned globalization. The uh, disempowerment of democracy is planned. The disempowerment of democratic state and all the diversity um, is planned. That's going to be uniformed. And the WHO is the instrument for that. And if you know that the WHO is directed by sponsors, it's not an authority. It's a lobby institution that uses health to promote its own um, power and economic interests worldwide, then by all rights, you have to be very, very suspicious. I've been through this in the swine flu, how corrupt and liable these institutions were. They had prepared everything that we are doing now. Um, they are now preparing that our governments won't even be able to fight back. And the um, uh, governments where they put the right public was in place before now something very very bad is coming up and that is why we need tons of courage we have to make sure that we stand up and say no if not we'll lose everything that is dear and near and valued to us we've talked about children we've talked about the elderly we've talked about communities that make life fun that we can uh, design ourselves and uh, that is what makes them fun if we don't have to buy them elsewhere and it is worth taking to the streets for that and I would wish for many many people to do that we have to become vigilant they have more plans they are stupid the plans are but uh, they are going to fulfill them we can't just say thank you for letting us free it's not true we just are allowed to take a breath. Yeah, it's only a breather, yes. Let's not delude ourselves. These criminals have a plan B. Maybe they didn't expect 
resistance worldwide to be as big as it is. Maybe they didn't expect uh, ever more people to wake up, but they do have a plan B because sooner or later they have to realize that such a shallow narrative will collapse. There is only a PCR uh, testing pand pandemic. Well, Wolfgang, I wonder why doesn't anybody see that the World Health Organization says since um, or has been corrupt since the swine flu? How didn't people realize that the swine flu uh, was only a, a pandemic because the WHO changed its definition of a pandemic? Uh, don't people see this anymore? Is this all psycho terror that stops uh, people from realizing this? It is so far away of the everyday life that people have accepted as reality over the 20 years past. Um, it's not enough to do uh, a documentary about this. Oval Media did a documentary showing it all, all the corruption that's going on, all the contradiction. It has all been known, but we didn't take it seriously. We have to take things seriously. Um, the, that <laughs> covers the second point. The second point being that in the European Union, what uh, was done, decided a year ago that uh, the vaccination pass is now by a new regulation, which is automatically effective in the countries, um, extended by another year, and that the digital immunity passport is going to be introduced across Europe, um, saying that we will be able to travel free. This is collecting our data, everything here, all that uh, fuss which lives because they say it's an emergency and what's happening is something very important that we can't fight back other ways, that is being used, simply extended, to say now we have to technically just fit it up. We've got the seven million billion already and the money the, is going to go to the companies that uh, they can collect all the data and uh, build up these uh, control mechanisms. We need another year for that and then when the European Parliament agrees to that, they will do it. And then it is uh, applicable. It is applicable law in all European countries. That is something that we have to stop. That must not come into place. That is a regulation which has no basis whatsoever in our real world as far as health is concerned, as the health risks are concerned. It is a plugged on control instrument which is being created here. And if you then look at the head of uh, WHO, who has been uh, reported for genocide, not by anybody, but a um, Nobel Prize nominee with credible evidence, not uh, taken from thin air, then you wonder what kind of people have been installed here. Are they all criminals? Yes. So I believe. So I believe they're easily, contro easily controlled. Well, it is a quite close, closely tight network where they hope they can pull it together if necessary. But I just hope that uh, the masks are down and you can clearly see what the ugly face is behind it. And what we've just heard is shocking. Where is the humanity in that? Where's uh, solidarity in that? Um, what about the vulnerable groups? Nothing. It's nothing there. It's all illusion. We have to fight. And we shall.
We should have started much earlier. If only we'd noticed before. Viviana did. I didn't. I only realized it with uh, this corona crap. And I was only uh, put these things together that I saw in the uh, courts of law that corrupt well, corruption goes all the way to the courts. If five years somebody would have told about uh, us about institutional corruption, that would have been a conspirational theorist at the time. And this term protected them so far that this uh, they created this term that by no means you shouldn't put any doubt in what the uh, government does. That is what protected them now. That gave them uh, psychological immunity. That's a very, very clever uh, uh, move they made. So if people bring these uh, words to the market, we have to ask what do they want to do with it? Yeah. Viviana. Are we going to have movies? Yes, we have two uh, videos uh, looking at the situation in Canada. The one is a video where a trucker, I keep uh, saying that the smartest people I talk to are the taxi drivers. In Canada, it seems to be the truckers, where a trucker tells us that uh, he and his colleagues Um, if the uh, global groups continue uh, doing what they're doing, he will uh, ensure, and he refers to example, historic examples where it uh, worked, that he'll ensure that their share prices will um, bottom out, and that is uh, something that we'll see in the connection of the grand jury hearings. That is a real option. That, uh, share prices of those uh, global groups that are um, bankrupt already, such as Deutsche Bank, um, to, to make them bottom out. And the uh, second video shows uh, the uh, one of the former um, bodyguards, Justin Trudeau, a member of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, who publicly declares that he has resigned from his office, that he won't protect this man anymore, and that he rejects the whole system and everything that uh, is connected with it. Very impressive. I'm waiting for the times where the police uh, simply turn around and arrest their bosses. That day will come, that day will come, Wolfgang. Well, um, move away, turn their backs on them and walk away for the time being. Okay, so that's the end of our session. Ms. Suman, I really want to thank you uh, for having the courage and the decision to talk with us today. I think many people are going to be inspired to think of whether there are things that they see in their area, in their context, where they should stay so far enough is enough. I think it is an important step. I, um, I hope that inspiration, that we can spark inspiration from the uh, meetings, the sessions, especially from you, and that takes us to the end of the session. For our work, we depend on donations, and I hope that you will carry on uh, donating to us and also to Oval Media, who do the technical production here. They work only 
donation-based. And despite all this heavy information, I think everybody should enjoy their Friday night, have a nice weekend. And if you have time and you're interested, tomorrow and on Sunday, we're going to carry on with the grand jury. And I think that is very important. Many things are going to be brought together there. And we have interesting witnesses. It's going to be a very, very good session. And it's very important that we join up shoulder by shoulder with experienced international colleagues who can take this into their courts. And uh, again, as we saw last time, uh, from this compact analysis, we derive at new conclusions and new findings. So. See you See next week. week. Wolfgang, we stay on. Hey, everybody. Um, only got three minutes. This is going to be quick. This goes out to you. anybody who works for mainstream media. Pay very close attention to what I'm saying here. If you don't report the truth, we're going to boycott you into oblivion. Plain and simple. Do you remember what Reddit did to GameStop and to Sundial Growers when we saved those companies last year? I, I play in the stock market. So anybody out there that you guys are in the markets on that, you're aware of Reddit, okay? So if you guys don't start reporting the truth, and what this convoy is about, it's not anti-vax, and they're not terrorists. If you don't report the truth, we are going to boycott you into oblivion. I will write you letters, as I already wrote one to the CBC and told them the same thing. We don't have to go after you personally. We'll go after your finances. We'll drive your stock prices right into the ground, and it will bankrupt your companies. You guys are public companies, so you better beware, because the public company means the public owns you. So we can shut you down. Just like we saved Sundial Growers, and just like we saved GameStop, Back then, we can do it again, okay? And it doesn't take but an hour on the stock market to bankrupt you completely. Crown Corporation or not, you're still publicly owned and you are still holding, you still have shareholders. So if you are a shareholder in mainstream media, I'd be very, very, very nervous at this particular juncture in your life, okay? Because I have the ability and the power to reach out to my friends on Reddit and we can start this thing all over again and come right after you. This will not be difficult to start dumping stock. All right. I personally don't have stock in your crap because I wouldn't. But there's lots of you people out there that do. And if you have stock in CTV, CBC, Global or any of these mainstream media people that are not reporting the truth, I would dump it. Because you have about, oh, well, when this convoy is done, if we don't see the coverage that needs to be seen on here and show Canadians the truth, I can assure you of this. We're coming after you on the markets. And we will dump you into nothingness. And you know I'm serious because you know it'll happen. I've seen it. I watched it. I've been off for 14 months. What do you think I do, man? How do you think I support myself? I sit around play the markets. So... Because I was an independent owner-operator, so I didn't have unemployment insurance and all that that goes with that. So I had to make my own way through this last 14 months. And I have money in the markets, and that's what we do. So understand that you're playing a very dangerous game. Nobody's going to hurt you, but they're going to take away your livelihood. And then you're going to see what it's like for the rest of Canadians out here that don't have any money, can't feed their families. And, and you guys just think this is A-OK. -okay. And further, for your hypocrisy, you sit on TV, you're not wearing any masks or anything. Well, that's because you're part of this Trudeau thing. You better get on the right side of history, guys, or you're going to lose your homes. You're going to lose everything. Because when those stock prices dump, you don't want to be anywhere near it. Thanks. Similar to Dr. Panessi losing her job over a violation of what she held to be her ethics, I'm about to lose mine. And my primary responsibility for the last eight years was supporting protection of our Prime Minister. 
the irony is not lost on me and probably not lost on him either. And as a Mountie, I always felt it was very important that I know what my legal authorities are and that police officers should know exactly what authority they have to do what they do. So I spent a fair amount of time researching the different legislation surrounding what we're currently dealing with, have uh, subsections that detail how both are subject to the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And I would like to just read the paragraph three of the Emergencies Act to you. Whereas the governor and council in taking such special temporary measures would be subject to the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms and the Canadian Bill of Rights and must have regard to the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, particularly with respect to those fundamental rights that are not to be limited or abridged even in a national emergency. I recently heard Doc, um, former Premier of Newfoundland, Brian Peckford, say very clearly that they have failed to demonstrably justify their infringements on our fundamental freedom. There's many, but I'll hit on the key ones that I think are germane to the current situation. Our mobility rights, where every citizen has the right to enter, remain in, and leave Canada. Our legal rights, everyone has the right to life, liberty, and security of person, and the right not to be deprived thereof except in accordance with the principles of fundamental justice. Section eight, everyone has the right to be secure against unreasonable search or seizure. That's a big one in the police world. And when I read that, I can't help but think of people who are not even law enforcement demanding your private medical information at the door of a hockey rink. What legal authority do they have to demand that information from you? I certainly never had any training or direction in my law enforcement career that indicated to me that I had the right to demand that from someone. In fact, if I wanted to get medical information from a victim of a crime, I had to obtain written consent to deliver to the hospital. Or I had to obtain it by a warrant for a suspect who was potentially involved in a serious violent crime. And the criteria to obtain a DNA warrant, which I have done in my career, is extremely high. Everyone has the right not to be arbitrarily detained or imprisoned. So when I read about the secure isolation facility in North Battleford, Saskatchewan, that was very concerning to me. Detailed about how it is meant for people who willfully do not abide by their quarantine when they are deemed contagious. Every individual is equal before and under the law. Excuse me. And has the right to equal protection and equal benefit of the law without discrimination. And finally, the most important in my mind is Section 52, where it clearly states that the Constitution is the supreme law of Canada. So I'd like to read my oath of office that I took 15 years ago. I, Daniel Beaufort, solemnly swear that I will faithfully, diligently, and impartially execute and perform the duties required of me as a member of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, and will well and truly obey and perform all lawful orders and instructions that I receive as such without fear, favor, or affection of or toward any person. So help me God. I cannot be compliant or complicit with federal policies and provincial regulations that I sincerely believe to be unlawful by every measure. It is certainly not the case that the official narrative has demonstrably justified a gigantic overreach into the fundamental freedoms of every citizen of this country. The RCMP's purpose, if you can, you can read this right off of the RCMP website, from coast to coast to coast, at the community, provincial and territorial and federal levels, we work to prevent crime enforce the law. We know that the supreme law of this country is the Constitution. We investigate offenses. I can't help but wonder. Perhaps offenses of intimidation to our physicians and our scientists and knowingly withholding life-saving treatment from thousands of Canadians and millions of people globally. 
We are to keep Canadians and their interests safe and secure. All Canadians, not just a select few. We are to assist Canadians in emergency situations and incidents. So in the context of the pandemic, I've seen us intimidate and arrest Canadians as opposed to assisting them. We've all seen videos. Look at our own history. Other stains on Canada and the RCMP in particular, things that we have been a part of carrying out so-called lawful orders, orders to remove children from their homes to satisfy a government conformity initiative or the registration and internment of Japanese Canadians during World War II. We're not immune to the stains of history. And I fear we may be repeating past mistakes. In our open letter under the heading Call to Action to Commissioner Lucky, we have asked her to direct investigators to determine if any criminal acts have been committed in the dissemination of information from federal and provincial health authorities or public figures in positions of trust, thereby putting Canadian lives at risk. To expand on that, I'd like to talk to you about some key points that I recently reviewed from Commissioner Lucky's mandate letter that she received from Minister Goodale. Paragraph one, the RCMP is responsible to keep Canadians safe and safeguard Canadians' rights and freedoms in an open, inclusive and democratic society. And it's quoted, I want to be clear. The Government of Canada recognizes and respects police independence of the RCMP in exercise of police powers in criminal investigations. In paragraph 10, at best, the RCMP, at their best, pardon me, at their best, the RCMP embodies what Canada and Canadians aspire to be. Upstanding, loyal, and committed to the pursuit of justice. How can we pursue justice without fully understanding both sides of this argument? with a complete censorship and suppression of, both side, of one side of this argument. On loyalty, I would say this. We must not confuse dissent with disloyalty. We must remember always that accusation is not proof and that conviction depends upon evidence and due process of law. We will not walk in fear one of another. We will not be driven by fear into an age of unreason. If we dig deep in our history and doctrine and remember that we are not descended from fearful people, not from people who fear to write, speak, associate, and defend causes that were for the moment unpopular. That's Edward R. Moreau. I feel that we have detracted so far from the values and culture that form the core identity of what it means to be a Canadian. That belief in ourselves that we are a humble, welcoming, fair and compassionate people. When I reflect on these past months, I even recognize that same failure in myself. We are divided with both sides angry and fearful of each other and how much worse this will get. Our language has been used to divide Canada into an us versus them mindset the responsible versus the irresponsible, the anti-vaxxers versus the sheep. We cannot continue to allow this decline toward a further divided, increasingly authoritarian state. We need to communicate honestly and courageously to make our perspective heard so that others may be given the opportunity to understand. If others have not sought out both sides of the argument, it's no wonder they think and believe what they do. It is time to be strong in mind and body and in character. It will require sacrifice and preparation. The sacrifice will be of the comfort and the security that can be found in remaining silent. It's difficult to have discussions with people who disagree on such a contentious issue. But that's a good place to start. Courage takes practice. If you're actively exercising peaceful non-compliance, go with a group if possible. There is strength in numbers. It will be hard and awkward and very uncomfortable at times. However, if we continue to allow this unchecked by our silence and compliance, then the failure to effect change is on our shoulders. We can live up to the anthem, the true north, strong and free. I have drawn my line in the sand. No more silence and compliance for me.